Hey, how's it going? Can you hear me okay? Hey, what's up? Yeah, pretty I'm glad you're here. Yeah, so uh, I'm glad that everything worked out because I forgot to tell you guys that you can't speak through the browser. And I just realized when I was checking my emails, so I was like worried, but that's so far so good. Hey, Aaron, how's it going? Hey, hey what's up, T? Can you guys hear me? Yeah, you sound pretty good. Okay, cool, sweet. Nice, nice. How's it so, going, man? Uh, I'm pretty good, Luke. How are you? From, you know, glad, nice to meet you, man. Yeah, yeah. Same to both of you guys. You know, first time like that. Yeah, yeah. The uh, <laughs> it's a pretty funny thing. Man. I was uh, when I saw your tweet last week or so, I didn't think much about it, Aaron, in terms of uh-huh. it being controversial. But people got really upset about it. It was kind of funny. I didn't know yeah. there was that much emotion still invested in defending it. Yeah, man. I mean, like, you know, it's a, I didn't think that either, especially because of the, uh, like the kind of audience that I have and the kind of like, like little niche, like subcultural sphere, I guess, of Twitter that I'm kind of in, you know, um, I'm thinking I'm speaking to the choir, you know, people already kind of know this shit. And, uh, I don't know, man. I think, um, instead of kind of getting into, cause Luke, you wrote a really great piece, um, that I reread right before this. Um, about how, you know, liberals are kind of obsessed with the West Wing and there are other pieces. But, uh, Trevor, you want to talk about the backlash against the backlash, you know? I, 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 um, I don't want to talk about it, mm. talk about it all, basically. I'm, I'm not, mm. you know, but, but I'm, I'm kind of curious about the idea in general that mm-hmm. there's a time limit to talk about things. Because I feel like that's something conservatives don't really follow. Like, conservatives just think if this is a problem, we need to talk about this, uh, until it's gone. But I feel like mm-hmm. with other people, there's this idea that arguments are kind of entertainment. So, yeah. okay, that was last year. Um, yeah. like, like, nothing's changed. There's no reason to actually stop complaining about the influence of the West Wing, because it's not like the influence has gone away. People are still bringing it up as, you know, like the worst people on Earth are still bringing it up as the reason why they got into politics. But, but for whatever reason... Yeah. The the clock has expired on talking about it. That's that's boring. Let's talk about something new. You know. Yeah. So. Well, like I think I think like that's what I was gonna say too, right? I think like you know, there's like a statue of limitations on like discourse, you know, because exactly. it's Twitter. Exactly. It's Twitter, you know what I mean? And everybody wants to be like fucking contrarian. Can I curse? Can I like? Oh, I guess okay. I can. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, sweet. Yeah. Um, I, you know, everybody wants to be contrarian, and everyone wants to have this like. They want to go against the grain, and it's kind of like, you know, when I made that tweet, um, and we can talk about it, I guess, too, with the actual impact and influence of the show, and Luke, you can speak to this because you wrote about it, like, Jen Psaki, it's not me saying that, you know, uh, this show, like, this kind of amorphous nebulous statement, this show is, you know, bad, you know, I'm saying this because someone who is currently in the White House you know, who is like the press secretary is talking about how the show made her want to get back into politics. So I thought that was funny that people are making it sound like I kind of made this up where it's like, no, I'm just kind of commenting on something that she's clearly admitting, you know? Um, yeah, but, uh, I mean, yeah. It, it, the, the show is, I mean, the show is like, it's never really gone away and it's, it's not like you don't have to go far to like, you don't have to look uh, very hard to like see its influence because the people who, uh, talk about it the most are often in positions of power and influence in politics or the media 
and they tell you straight up that it's you know that it's an influence um and like you know not that like not just that it's something that they like and that they find entertaining but that it's actually you know a formative uh cultural artifact for them i mean when when you read these like memoirs that have come out of people who worked in the Obama White House, and so many of them make reference to the show. You know, you have these people that were like idealistic young, you know, uh, liberals at an Ivy League institution who went from, you know, a dorm room to writing speeches for, you know, Barack Obama during his meteoric rise to the presidency. Um, you know, they kind of skipped what for a lot of people is like a, you know, I mean, there are different ways to get a political education, but for some people, their education really was the show. Um, and so when they got to the White House, you know, they were, they, you know, they, in a way they didn't think, uh, you know, wow, I'm in the White House. I work here now. They thought, wow, I'm walking on, I'm actually on the set of, of my favorite show where I learned, you know, how politics uh, is and also uh, how it, how it should be. So yeah, you don't have to look far and, and, uh, the the show's everywhere. It's constantly being brought up, uh, which is pretty remarkable when you think, I mean, this is for liberals, right? Like, this is their Sopranos. You know, it's been off the air since 2007 or something, and uh, they're still uh, they're still talking about it. Yeah. Uh, something I find interesting, too, was, like, this is something that annoys me in general with the internet, is I just feel like people can't just admit that their feelings are hurt, that you just like something you like. So they have to make these fake reasons. And what I mean by that is people were saying stuff to Aaron, like, um, oh, there go white leftists again. But, you know, Aaron's, yeah. you know, white. Oh, clearly, 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 not a, clearly not a white leftist. <laughs> yeah, yeah but, but it isn't like when you say, well, hey, I'm not white. They're like, oh, never mind then. They're still mad. So you didn't tell that he was, that you thought, you were just trying to bring up anything that you thought would discredit the guy so you wouldn't have to talk about the thing or someone uh said i saw well some of people said this a lot of people said they said <laughs> well uh leftists in general always making up straw men nobody's going into politics uh because of west wing but you were quoting an article where someone explicitly said i went into politics for the west wing so i would point out to people actually he's quoting an article that says yeah. exactly that and yeah. then they would never say, oh, my bad. They would just say mad. So I'm like, okay, you don't care about what you're saying you're mad about. You're just, you just don't like that someone like disliked your little show. But I wish people would just be more honest about that. Just be like, look, I base my identity around this show. And mm -hmm. my feelings get hurt if you... So that alone makes a discourse kind of hard. Because you never actually know what people are actually mad about. Because a lot of people have a lot of, you know, what I call uh, decoy decoy um arguments so that's a whole other yeah. thing you have to kind of sift through yeah but also yeah. we have josh joining us so i want to give uh josh a chance to and uh dave is here as well so, so dave's there too yeah chance. yeah we're trying to figure out this app <laughs> hey what's up josh what's hey, up man, dude? how are you guys yeah pretty good I, pretty I good like was that that seemed like a little brouhaha on twitter is it a is it do you think it's an actual sign of an actual uh a groundswell of um, backlash against the backlash, or uh... I mean, that's the question. I mean, you're guessing because I I don't see a lot of that. I mean, I do see, you know, I've got friends who are are uh, uh, politics are are far more uh, impeccable than my own who despise the show but just tend to take the per 
you know, uh, the position that, um, you know, it, it didn't have any effect. It's just a TV show, which I, I, I reject on multiple levels. I mean, I wouldn't, I'm a, I'm a screenwriter, worked in TV. I, would, I wouldn't do what I did if I didn't think it had an impact on the world. So I sort of have to believe that it does. But um, yeah, I haven't seen too many, I mean, because I was in the middle of that thing the other day, I haven't seen too many people kind of uh, uh, rejecting it just outright um, as though somehow other media has an impact, but the West Wing didn't. That that just seems like such an insane position to take, especially when we've got, you know, uh, all this documentation of all these numbnuts in the Obama administration, especially who got into politics because of the show or, you know, Mayor Pete uh, doing West Wing viewing parties at Harvard. Um, it, it seems pretty inarguable to me, but, you know, it's it's Twitter, man. Every, no, matter, no matter what position you take, sooner or later, somebody's going to take the alternate one, so... Yeah. Um, but I, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. You know, it's um, maybe, maybe there are more people on the left. Uh, <laughs> so, mm-hmm. well, well, yeah. well, that's one thing that kind of surprised me too. Was I thought, okay, maybe it's just a bunch of like centrist weirdos who stumbled on the tweet. But some of the accounts that were getting kind of huffy with Aaron seemed like you know those kind of weird Twitter type of uh, lefty type accounts, and yeah. they had those screen names like. The noun haver, you know that's yeah. Yeah. really kind of annoying. Yeah, they, they, yeah, things like that, and and I was, I was like, okay, why is a guy like this? Um, well, be like a normie. Well, I think I think there were there were two kinds of people, right? That kind of were getting on me about that. There are like there are people who, as you were saying, Trevor, you said something interesting. It reminded me that now people's uh, entertainment preferences. Um, is like their identity, you know? So if you attack, um, especially when we're talking about discourse online, if you attack a show that somebody uh, likes, it's like you're attacking them personally and they get offended, right? So half of it was people who actually enjoyed the show. Now, the leftists that you were talking about, and not to get too kind of esoteric with the theory or anything, but, you know, these are people who say that they're uh, mystery- materialists, right? They're historical materialists, you know? Um, which is everything can, all of history is kind of motivated, right? by this contestation over material resources, power, politics, so on and so forth. So to these people who are taking this, like, literally, this means that, no, this show couldn't have possibly had an impact, right? Like, in the political culture, right? Or in, like, um, I guess in the way that people kind of perceived politics and what politics could be. No, it, put, it couldn't possibly. Like, this show, I'm not, and I didn't say that this show started wars. That's, I didn't say that this show was, I mean, anything that it actually, like, led people to like watch the show and make decisions based off the show but what it did it gave them a conception of politics you know there were people who went into politics not just who were political operatives but Matty Inglesias you know he said something um in this piece that I read that reminded me of something I used to do where I used to work for the Democratic Party and I would get off of work and go back to my friend's place and we'd smoke weed and we'd drink beers and talk about the day and we would watch the West Wing and like Matty Inglesias said in this piece we would be like, well, who, which character are you? Are you Josh? You know what I'm saying? Are you fucking Toby? And I used to fucking do this shit, you know? Because I watched this show working for the Democratic Party and kind of during the Obama years, and I had this kind of, it really lit this vision of what my my role was supposed to be or could be, you know? So you're like the ex-gang member who's coming back to talk the game. Exactly. I've been there, exactly. I feel like you blew past that rather quickly, and and we need to establish: uh, hmm. were you a Toby or or a Josh or, or a Will? Perhaps? 
No, I was man. I was a uh, god. What's um? What's what's that character's name, man? Um, the black kid, man. I was the fucking president. Charlie. I, yeah, I was Charlie, man. I was Charlie. I was always Charlie. I had to tell my friend, like, are you even asking me that seriously? You already know who I am, you know. But yeah, well, I, well, I, I was well, Charlie. Also, I keep inviting Dave to the speaker section, but um. It's not. I don't know if it's not working, or maybe he's like, "Oh, this is kind of corny. I don't want to come up here." But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I wish Q was here because Q knows. Oh, there it goes. Finally, his ears, his ears were ringing. Well, you know what? One thing at a time. We got him up here. We'll worry about the. We'll worry about the mic later. <laughs> but actually, before we continue, let's make sure we know who everybody is. I don't know. If you, Luke and Aaron got a chance to introduce themselves yet, but I know Josh definitely didn't. I did not. Yeah, actually. So, so, so Luke. Actually, I guess we we'll start with Luke. If you just want to yeah, say, what's uh, up, uh, Luke Savage, uh, staff writer at Jacobin Magazine. Um, uh, I don't know, uh, connoisseur of uh, all things in the universe of uh, West Wing cringe for a uh, number of years, and uh, yeah, I don't know kind of minor scholar of the fandom of the show and its uh, influence on uh, on politics and, and also like Aaron, I think safe to say a, uh, an apostate of uh, the West Wing because I did used to watch it, um, you know, a long time ago for uh, for pleasure. Okay, and uh, Aaron, uh, take a chance to... Yeah, um, I'm Aaron Thorpe. Uh, I am a co-host on the Trailbilly Worker Workers Parties podcast. Um, I'm also a comics correspondent on Struggle Session, and um, a writer sometimes. And um, yeah, just posting shit online. People, uh, people can follow me on Twitter if uh, they're kind of familiar with the shit that I do or want to be familiar with the shit I do. Okay, and Josh and Dave, since you guys have the same connection to the West Wing, I'll let you guys. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, no, Josh Olson, screenwriter, uh, uh, podcaster, you name it, and co-host with Dave Anthony of The West Wing Thing, which if you haven't heard of, we have to blow our own horn because nobody has suffered more for this show than we have. Um, we are currently six seasons into watching every single solitary episode of The Fucking West Wing and breaking down its terrible politics. And we're actually taking a break right now for the last couple of weeks. We've been doing the uh, Hillary Clinton Masterclass, so it's a great time to come on board. But... Well, that's a good one. I gotta check that one out. Oh God! <laughs> yeah, Dave, you're up. Yeah, uh, host of the Dollop. Uh, I don't know what I'm on Twitter. Well, being West Wing <laughs> I'm also. Well, you just said it. Um, um, West Wing thing. So I've been too seeped in this absolute garbage show for a long time. <laughs> And, and I, I, I was gonna say I will tell people um, I've been like a I think a three time guest on the West Wing thing and uh yes, everybody here's been on yeah Dave and Josh have tortured me uh, three fucking times to watch uh well the third time was to uh, partake in that Hillary Masterclass thing but uh yeah people should uh, check that show out uh, the West Wing thing is very very good and funny yeah it I should mean, be noted I that think... Luke because it's horrible introducing yourself. Luke wrote probably one of the definitive pieces on uh, the West Wing that, in fact, probably inspired Dave and I finally to go do this show. And it's um, it's worth looking up. And Luke, I probably, what, what is the title of that article again? It's an incredible piece. It's called, it was in Current Affairs. It's called How Liberals Fell in Love with the West Wing. And actually, uh, since you brought it up, uh, it's going to be a version of it's going to be in my forthcoming book, The Dead Center, right. which you can pre-order now. There you go. Nice, nice. And, and real quick. 
Um, people enter the queue at will. Feel feel free as far as the calling the calling queue. And I want to hear from somebody who actually likes the West Wing. Don't feel like intimidated. We're not going to. <laughs> we will be nice to you. <laughs> y'all, y'all will be nice to them. I will. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'll be nice. I'll be nice. Uh, and that's that's one of the constant responses that uh, Aaron was getting. People were like. Uh, Quote tweet, it's a good show. I'm like, you know what? I don't agree with you, but at least you're honest about why you're mad that you think it's a good show. Like, you know, you never bring up some fake lofty reason. Like, I hate when someone was saying, aren't we over talking about this? But I'm like, okay, if you were, if you thought we were over talking about it, you would get mad at Jen Psaki. So she's the one who brought it up first. So you don't really care that people are still bringing it up. You just care that someone doesn't like your fresher show. So anyway... Um, Vita is up. I don't know if you're a West Wing watcher. And also, I don't know if you want to enter the speaker section or if you're just coming through as a caller. I'll let you make the call. But yeah, if you just want to chime um, in, Vita. Um, yeah, I always, I always want to be a speaker, but <laughs> I haven't seen the show, so it's cool if I'm not a speaker. No, I was just looking up stuff because I never watched the West Wing. I always heard of it growing up, but it looked stupid or boring, so I just never watched it. Not that I wasn't into politics. Smart enough. move. <laughs> smart move. Very smart move. Well, funny enough, I was heavily into politics at the time. I think this came out when I was in, like, high school or something or middle school. And I was very active in shit. But I felt like I remember seeing it. It just looked like some boring bullshit, so I never watched it. But I'm reading all these articles now since T told me about this episode, this show that we're, going, we're doing now. I was like, let me see what he's talking about. And it's so funny, the shit that I'm finding. Um, I was, I'm was i reading this one article, and it says that um, this professor, a political, I'm just going to read it. It says, as political science professor Paul Musgraves of the University of Massachusetts Amherst told me, talking, to the, talking about the author, told me during the primetime episode, all of these Obama-era junior officials were talking about how they would go to work in the Obama White House and it would be just like the West Wing. That is, that is, that this was the way that they had seen reality portrayed and that they wanted, wanted reality to be. And I think that one of the reasons why 2016 felt so personally disappointing for a lot of folks who identified with those politics was that the antithesis of the white of the West Wing actually won the election. I mean, literally, right? The West Wing getting defeated by The Apprentice. I just thought that was a pretty interesting. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's, that's that. exact. That's so that's so evocative and so exactly right because yeah. the West Wing fundamentally is a show about norms and etiquette, and much more than his actual politics. I think, in many ways, the thing that offended liberals about Donald Trump uh, was his constant tendency and also conversely the thing that was most attractive to him uh about him rather uh to people that supported him was uh, the fact that he transgressed against norms and etiquette constantly he was rude you know he just like had absolutely no time for the kind of like like normal liturgy that we expect from politicians whereas hillary clinton was like completely invested in them not only like as inherently valuable things, but as like things that were going to uh, make her like the most electable candidate ever. And yeah, as you said, Vita, pretty much the uh, exact uh, inverse of that turned out to be true. Yeah. Um, I, have a, I have a general question to ask 
either the people on the panel or the people in the audience. Um, what is good about the show? Because I'm gonna say I'm gonna say this: the show is really bad, repetitive, awkwardly written, but in a watchable way. And I'm trying to figure out what is it doing that makes it watchable. Because there is something about this show that, as bad as it is, when Aaron Sorkin first leaves the show, they're doing like a poor man's version of him. And it's somehow excruciating to watch, even though I would not in any way say that he's a good writer. So I think there's something that he does that makes the show kind of compulsively watchable, even if it is at the same time terrible and painful. And I've yet to figure out what it, what it is. And I wonder if anybody had any. <clears throat> yeah, it's hard. Me and Josh are like, I don't know. We've, we've watched it so much. We can't stand it now, but um, yeah, really. Hate but, it. <laughs> I, I believe there's a, besides the, the norms and watching people, you know, you believe are behaving amazingly and it's, it's American exceptionalism. But as far as the writing goes, there's almost a, a, a pattern, a tempo to it that you're not getting in a lot of shows. It's the, the walking and talking stuff. If you, and I think what you're alluding to is when Sorkin left, they were doing the same show without the walk and talks. And, and it seems really boring because the walk and talks for however this works, they bring it to life a little bit. And if you do it without the walking and the talking, it's fucking boring as shit. Like if you just read the words, it would be terrible. But for some reason, that little gimmick brings the show to life. It's weird. Yeah. I, um, I was going to say, actually, I had a problem unmuting myself, but okay, it's working now. But I was going to say, for me, I didn't realize that the show was bad, to be honest with you. Until years later, when I actually listened to uh, Josh and Dave's show, and I would sometimes watch along with the episodes you guys recorded, and I mean, the misogyny, like the casual misogyny and racism, I mean, some of it is almost like, it almost seems like parody because of how bad it is, but at the time, though, this was like one of the first prestige TV shows that I'd ever seen, so it was very slick, I mean, it was just scenes full of very smart people with very punchy, witty dialogue, walking down the hallway, just firing off, like, these witty comments, like, instantly. I mean, it was just something that I think for people that were wonks or were interested in politics and, I mean, I mean admittedly like myself, who thought they were, like, the smartest fucking guy in the room, this was a show that spoke to you. Because, as you said, Luke, in your piece... It wasn't a show about actual process, or I guess it venerates process, but without the kind of moral, political will that's involved in actually fighting for something. It's really just a show about speeches, you know? And I mean, if you're someone like me at the time where I thought that politics was all about kind of pushing ideas and convincing people with arguments, I mean, this show was like porn for me, you know what I mean? It was like, especially I think for people who... When it came out during the Bush era, I mean, it literally was escapism, more so when Donald Trump got elected. I mean, I think that's why this show is going to persist, because it really does kind of present this vision of liberalism, the way liberalism sees itself. And until, I guess, politics are punctuated with 
you know, some actual kind of class material basis and perspective, people are going to continue to look at the West Wing as like a paragon of what politics can be, or liberal politics can be at least, you know? Yeah. I can, okay, I, so, I, I, so I as like, far as I that complaints, oh, wait, is somebody talking? Because if so, they're coming through really low. Okay, so I thought I heard something. Actually, yo, you sound very <laughs> low. And actually, somebody told me that I sound, someone just texted me that you and I sound really low, Luke, compared to everyone else. I don't know. Um, is there a way yeah. I can turn the volume up? The weird thing is, is you sounded good? louder. You sounded louder earlier, I think. So I don't know what what happened. I is mean, there can a way... you guys hear me at all or no? Yeah, I can. I can hear you. Yeah, I can hear you. Just pretty right, low. Right. I, I guess we have to make do. It's fine. All right, keep keep me posted. I'll try to talk loudly. I, w- I want to make uh, I guess two comments if I can. So for, first of all, on the question of the show being good or not, I mean, obviously, I'm not going to sit here and argue that the West Wing is a good show, but. I do think that it comes from an era, sort of first wave prestige TV, where um, unlike in our current moment where, you know, I would say 80 to 90 percent of Netflix dramas, uh, they're all airbrushed in this perfectly middle brow way. There is now a house style that's been institutionalized. um, And even as the production values have grown um, and just gotten like incomprehensibly big, uh, there's a lot of like just visual and stylistic homogeneity. And I think the West Wing actually, you know, comes from an era before there was that kind of homogeneity. And so, you know, even if you don't think it's good, there are aspects of it that are quite distinctive. There had never been a show that looked like that uh, before. And I think that's, that's, you know, I gotta, I gotta push back on that. I apologize. We would not be here were it not for you, Luke. So I'm, Take that into account as I as I proceed to demolish your argument. <laughs> but, um, I mean, there were it, the thing that one of the things that makes me crazy about the West Wing is people talk about it in the terms that you're using, but but glowingly, and they talk about it as though it was the beginning of peak TV. Which, in terms of the look of the show, there had been other. Um, I mean, I remember when it first came on; I thought it looked just like LA Law. It it is very much a kind of normal looking network TV show. Um, for that era. And what's genuinely crazy is it premieres 10 months after The Sopranos, which almost inarguably is, you know, way more at the beginning of peak TV than Westwood. Mm-hmm. The Sopranos was, was cinema, genuinely cinematic. And I feel like and, if, I, if uh, I was to credit a network show with uh, being close to starting peak TV, I would say NYPD Blue is more distinct than... Well, NY, for sure. Or, NYPD or Blue. like ER even, I guess, right? It kind of reminds yeah. me of ER sort of in that in that sense. Yeah, I mean, there's all these shows before it that, that are kind of similar. It's just, it's set in the White House. But in terms of the way it's looked, it looked in terms of the budget, you know, other shows were already doing stuff. It also premiered, I think, a week before... Uh, Freaks and Geeks, which was certainly a more kind of radical show in terms of its approach to to its subject matter. And so it's like, but I feel like it always gets this credit in retrospect. People are like, well, it came along at this time and that was happening. So it's part of it. And it's so not part of it. It's it's not, you know, the best shows at the beginning of kind of that, that era were transgressive. There were a few network attempts to do things like The Sopranos beforehand. There was a show on Fox called Profit, which is amazing, which is this kind of like, anti-capitalist soap opera about a sociopath climbing the corporate ladder and destroying everybody in his path that if it premiered five years later on HBO, we'd all be talking about a seven season run, you know, mm. and West Wing is just like good people. It's like, it's a work show. It's like, how about we do cheers except in the white house? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, 
You know what? You were making me think of this because I've been. Um, I mean, this is another show, but um, I can't help but think about every every piece of media in relation to the show. I've been watching Star Trek: The Next Generation, right? And I've heard people say that this is um, the West Wing in space, which is not true. But the, no, fuck, this show is fucking awesome. But the reason why I keep watching it is because it literally is like a sedative to me. It's like a narcotic, you know. It makes me feel good and optimistic about myself about the world and of course it's a science fiction show but science fiction is often meant to do these things right and i think politically the west wing made people feel good i mean it is a show that is completely even yes it's saccharine but it's also completely optimistic like wholly optimistic in its vision and idealistic and i think that people like that shit i mean it's addictive you know people want to see a world that isn't sort of the dystopia the political dystopia that we have now especially during like you know, Bush administration or Trump administration, and I understand that. Well, you kind of forget, though, that... Uh, oh, and hey, everybody, what's going on, SQ? How you doing? Luke, Dave, hey, Josh, good to, good, to, good to talk to you all. Finally, uh, I, oh, I guess, Luke, I talked to you a couple of weeks ago, but uh, you know, good to chat with folks. Uh, but I was going to say, Aaron, like, I get that, and a lot of people think that, um, or have this mistaken impression that the West Wing was a reaction to the Bush administration, but it no. started during the it's Clinton administration. Yeah, yeah and, and the fact that it started during the Clinton administration um, after, like, not one, but several scandals. I think um, what uh, Aaron Sorkin was trying to do was like, I mean, obviously he was continuing the project that he was doing with uh, with the American president, which was to, I guess, like rally people around the values that made them uh, treasure the White House and the American presidency in the first place. Like the one thing that should be able to unite all Americans is our faith in the holder of the Oval Office. So it, it, it was hope punk, but it was also a very cynically concocted kind of hope punk that um, twisted people's feelings to make them feel nostalgic for an America that never existed and for an office that has never um, been honored by the occupant. Absolutely, man. And I think that one of I think that um, the cynicism you especially see whenever there are like progressive left wing characters, you know, like there's an analog to Bernie Sanders, like this, I think, senator from Ohio. And I mean, clearly, right, he's meant to be this like left wing, like whack job. And I mean, Sorkin is very, very adamant about like these people being unrealistic, being unserious, you know. And Luke, again, I have to keep going back to your piece. You talk about this dichotomy between the serious and the unserious, you know. And I mean, this is where I think like Sorkin's liberalism comes through the strongest. Because I mean, there are episodes and shows where they're fighting for, let's say, they're fighting over Social Security, you know. And it actually starts to kind of mirror the neoliberal policies of the Clinton administration, where it's like, okay, this show actually isn't as idealistic as even the characters in the administration hope it to be. Because they actually, by the end of the show's run, they don't do anything. Like, they don't actually get anything fucking done. You know, you spent seven seasons of people having the most ideological battles without any material successes out of it. And I mean, that's like kind of liberalism to the T, right? It's more about the appearance and the aesthetic. Well, yeah. what, what happens is that's, got done. I, I what, like that's that's the main thing I got from binge watching six seasons straight is it's almost super narcissistic in a spiritual way in that the missed point of politics seems to be uh, the best politician is the one who can keep their um, good good vibes about themselves when they're done. They didn't compromise. <laughs> their, right. uh, they kept the high road. You know, uh, they got nothing tangible done, but. At least they weren't as bad as the jerks, and that's it. 
But also one of well, the important things to keep in mind about the show too, and it's it's crazy making. Dave and I talk about this all the time. Is Sorkin gets all this credit to the point that like he's called on CNN to comment on elections and policy. It is so clear, both from the writing of the show and then if you hear Sorkin talk, that his he's a political imbecile. He has absolutely <laughs> no say. He's uh, you know he claims you know it's like he's a liberal who hates unions and he genuinely believes that up until Donald Trump was president. People all over the world welcomed the American armed forces with open arms. I mean, he doesn't know anything. And what happens very early on is, is, sorry, what what happens really early on is people like Lawrence O'Donnell start coming on the show because there's this incestuous, like Hollywood loves Washington, Washington loves Hollywood. And here's a TV show that makes all these people look good. And then Lawrence O'Donnell comes to you and is like, hey, I love your show. You want to make it even better? I can start giving you some inside poop. And then the politics of it start taking on this really ugly sort of centrist thing. That's like that's why they start going after social security and and you know education, all this stuff. The politics of the show when it finally gets political are appalling. And they're Lawrence O'Donnell's, not Aaron Sorkin's. I was, mm-hmm. I was gonna yeah. ask you about I, I was gonna ask you about that. Can I hop in for, for a second? Just I wanna say just uh, further what Josh and then before that Q was saying, I think critical context for the show you know, it, it's true. It's it's absolutely is talked about as something that uh, you know is is a product of the Bush era. But in a in a very important respect, it is uh, it is a revisionist history of the Clinton presidency. It is what it is what liberals imagined the Clinton presidency could have been. Um, you know, at their most idealistic in the '90s, if it hadn't been for. Uh, you know, if it hadn't been for Monica Lewinsky, I think basically, if it hadn't, you know, if uh, and and I don't know, various other things that kind of tarnished the uh, the, the Clinton presidency. And I mean, don't forget one of the key uh, one of the key domestic priorities of the Clinton presidency was going to be the privatization of Social Security. Um, and so, in the West Wing, you get to find out, like, hey, what if the people, uh, what you know, what if the people in power were actually able to uh, were actually able to do that? Um, so that's uh, yeah. I think an important. Well, keep, uh, uh, keep in mind. Yeah, just to add on to what you're saying, Luke. Uh, like they go and they go and name check, or at least like uh, they go on analog. Almost every scandal and every um, like uh, crisis that happened during the Clinton administration, right? So uh, you have you have like a sort of a close analog to the USS coal bombing. Uh, you have the tail hook scandal. Uh, you have like a uh, resurgent right that uh, takes over Congress. You even have Dr. Laura. They got like they had the American president dressing down Dr. Laura Schlesinger. So it's like that's exactly what it was. It was like, what if you know uh, Bill Clinton, rather than um, you know being a, uh, a, a like a, a charmer and uh, you know a bit of a, a bit of a snake oil salesman from Arkansas, what if he was more like a but he's more like a, an academic Jimmy Carter, and that's that's kind of what I think Aaron Sorkin and a lot of yes. liberals kind of they want their politician to be. It's like right. a wise granddad. Yeah. yeah. But the one yeah. thing I wanted to point out the resurgent right mm-hmm. on that show, as much as they're in power, they're the nicest Republicans. They, they, they're good, decent people who yes. differ from us mm-hmm. only. On yes. They're they're the yes. imaginary Republicans that Hillary was addressing in that um, yeah. Pepe speech. Remember the Pepe speech, which is like. We have to get rid of these bad Republicans and remember yeah. the good ones like so and so. Like yeah. that's the fantasy that, that yeah. she was envisioning. Was, it's was the same. I also, 
I was going to say it's the same thing. One of the most insidious things about the show is the way that it presents Republicans. Because, I mean, it's the same thing where Joe Biden says that, well, or Nancy Pelosi, we just need a Republican Party that we can work with. Or Joe Biden saying that once I get into office, the Republicans are going to come to their senses. The only, the only Republicans that show are caricatures, right, which is actually closer to the truth. Or they're like middle-of-the-road Republicans who, because they believe in kind of these virtues of the country so much, they're willing to put aside their political differences to work together. And these are the allies that Bartlett decides to kind of like reach across the aisle to. I mean, I remember there's a, there's a season, I think, where they even get a Republican aid in, right, because Bartlett wants to hear like the other side, right? He doesn't want to devolve into, I guess, what Sorkin would call tribalism. Right. So they end up getting this Republican aid to kind of like on the inside to kind of help them out. And I mean, it's disgusting. It's insidious. I want to say this, though, because. Hey, yo, Aaron, I'm, are you like are you selling chimichangas on the side of the highway or something? <laughs> no, no, I'm not. I'm not to go back inside. I just stepped out for a minute. I had to step out for a minute. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Um, I want to say, you know, I'm looking at like the ratings for the show, like who liked it. And um. Republicans liked it. <laughs> like I'm looking at it. Oh, of course, it, yeah. And the thing that's interesting, because while I understand Aaron's point of view about it being like disgusting and shitty or whatever, but at the same time, it's a TV show, and I think that's where people have to, have to like really think about the fact that they're <laughs> okay. Yo, I don't know who that is, but you might need to meet. <laughs> um. And whoever was typing like a motherfucker a second ago, too. Yeah, I need to do I'm just saying, because that shit's loud as fuck, whatever's going on. But anyway, um, I, w- the fact that it's a TV show, and you have to remember, it has to still reach across the entire country. It has to be able to reach the South or the places that are highly Republican, right? Um, if they demonize the Republicans too much, they don't have a, their show might not get the same ratings they wouldn't get the same ratings and they're trying to be um as appealing as possible in order to keep those ratings up so of course i mean you can't really have in my opinion you can't really have high expectations of anything coming out of hollywood and 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 it being political you can't have any like you have in my head automatically it's just gonna be racist i just have that in my head if you go in knowing it's gonna be racist or misogynistic it, you'll, you won't be disappointed. I promise. It, it's, it's a lot easier. But it's the a TV we, show. So they're the going about to... This, go ahead. I'm going to say the weird thing about the show's racism that makes it extra galling is that it thinks it's being the opposite of racist, which is like so typically... <laughs> like, but, that's, it's but that's, being so that's Hollywood racism. Yeah, but that's Hollywood racism. That's literally Hollywood racism. They Yo, all, the, the motherfucking president of... Been, the president of the United States went to the chairman of the joint chief of staff and asked him if he thought he was being a racist to his aide or to his to his body man like it is the most condescending and the funny thing was too um the so the, the dude that played his uh the chairman of the joint chief of staff john amos uh, john amos yeah 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 uh when he i i kind of feel like that wasn't even aaron sorkin's dialogue i kind of feel like like i have no i have no proof to this whatsoever but john amos's answer was like Yo, don't bring this. Like he he answered him sincerely, and then after he finished answering the question, he was like, "Man, don't bring this kind of shit to me again, bro." Like that's not what I'm, that's not what I'm here for. And I, I don't feel like Aaron Sorkin possesses enough insight to put a line like that into the show. 
But, no, um, but, but I, by the way, that is why John Amos is there on the show. We do, they do that a bunch of times where it's like, you're, you're like, when he's aware that he's doing something that might be questionable. Yeah. They bring in, usually John Amos, sometimes Charlie. And a white character will ask. <laughs> <laughs> and that character will respond in dialogue written by a white character. Yeah, the dad from Good Times. He was the chairman of the Great Chiefs of on our show. I will. I want Josh to finish his point, though. Uh, why, Josh. Well, I, just oh, no, I was just saying that. Yeah, yeah. Time, Vita hadn't really cool. finished her point. Yeah, go ahead. No, it's fine, Josh. I already lost it now. But I just wanted to point out I was talking and then y'all started a whole other conversation. So go ahead, Josh. Go. Go. Go ahead. How can I, how can I possibly say it again? <laughs> no, I just it's it's um wait a minute, where's John Amos? John, am I being racist to Vita? No, man, you're not. Okay. So, <laughs> we, we, but that was it. And it would be like John Amos would come in and he'd recite some dialogue written by a white guy telling the other white guy that he's not being a racist. And it's um yeah, just one of the tricks of the show. And to to a lot of what other people are saying, I think but bottom line what it does is it made people feel good about themselves. Like these are the politics you aspire to. And here and they are working. That's that was exactly the point that I was going to make. It's Hollywood's version yep. of like, and whenever you watch anything, I, I like to watch old stuff, and I always like to look at the stuff that people say is progressive, right? So mm. I saw recently that uh, Beyonce and Zendaya. It's a Hollywood rumor. I don't know how true it is, but they allegedly are going to come out with remake that movie, Imitation of Life. Have you guys ever seen that movie? For sure, mm. yeah. Mm. Yeah, there's two versions of it, and I think both of them are highly racist as fuck. Like, both of them are extremely racist. Like, some of the most racist shit I've ever seen. But people praise both of those movies for how progressive they are, right? Mm. Hollywood always does that. They do something racist, and then they turn around, but they present it like, oh, but this is us being progressive. For example, in the movie Imitation of Life. In both, in the both versions, the little girl, the little girl who could pass for white um, is demonized the whole time. Not because she's not even, I don't even think black people are demonizing her because she wants to be white, allegedly. A lot of it's because she don't know how to stay in her place. Her mom was a good Negro. She was good. She was happy being black and staying in her place. The other girl wasn't, right? But that's them. But at the same time, they're like, we're being progressive because we're showing the pain and struggle of black people. Right, but this the whole time it's a racist fucking movie. So this is what Hollywood does. They don't actually want to. Uh, they can't actually address shit. It has to come off a certain way. It has to be able to be appealing. And then even now with all this fake woke shit, no, it's most of it's watered down because they don't actually want to talk about no real shit. And it's not because they don't know. They don't want to. And that's just the reality of how it works. Can I, speaking as a Dave can back me up, as somebody from the community you're discussing, they don't know. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Yeah. Wow. Are, you, are just, you, just pulled your, you just pulled your life, you just pulled your lived experience card on Visa. <laughs> no, that's, Josh is, Josh is very, Josh is Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, y'all. I want to be very clear on what I mean by they know. No, the niggas on the ground don't know. Writers and shit may not know. Them executives yeah. ain't fucking dumb. They no, oh, know no, that's what I'm, that's what I'm talking about. Oh, no. They're really that's exactly what, yeah. Here's the thing is, you know, and, and what they're doing right now and what they always do is there is a movement that is large enough that they have to give it credence and attention. And they yes. are simply going, okay, what, what do they want? Okay, we'll give them that. I, they don't take the time to understand it. They don't know why these demands are being made. They don't know what people are asking for. 
So it, it really is. Believe me. You, you, you know, oh, you're the, talking about the actual issue. I'm not saying they don't understand. Yeah. I'm not saying they understand the issue. I don't. I know they don't give a fuck about the issue, but they very right. clear. They, they know, but they know they don't hire no black people. They ain't confused. You see yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> can I, can... Okay, so, yeah, but but there's still a like their response is oh now we have to hire X number. Yeah. You know? they know profit. They know profit. Yeah. They know what yeah. appeal. And they can yeah. look and it's the same thing as the Democratic Party. That's why yeah. people call Hollywood liberal. It's the same type of mentality. That's how do we look about. progressive? How do we look progressive without actually being progressive? Okay, let's hire the right type of black people that are gonna not that are gonna water down the message, make it nice and palatable for the rest of America so we can sell some shit. Right, that's absolutely. Game. But there was Go also to, to the thing you were saying. And I don't want to defend Imitation of Life mostly because I I haven't seen it in a thousand years. But some of the stuff from from you know ten well not ten years ago, 40, 50, 60, 70 years ago, is being written by people who are genuinely sincere, being made by people who are sincere at a time in which the standards were so radically different that you know, and probably some of them even knew that this stuff's going to look ridiculous in forty years. But for the time, it's fairly radical because the thing to remember is. A lot of the people who are writing these movies, you know, people, the whole blacklist came along because some of these guys were actually communists and they mm-hmm. were injecting as much kind of radical politics as they could into these mainstream movies. And, you know, you could show this stuff to a nine year old today and they just think it's dopey. But when it came out in 1947 was like earth shattering, you know. So there's a little bit of I mean, there's a lot of what you're talking about, but I think there's also a little bit of like people very much trying to inject messages that were more radical and progressive into yeah. a delivery system that did not have room for anything as radical as you would like today. From people who believe they're being radical and progressive because of what they're comparing it to. You see what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. So yeah, well, you might not be out here hanging niggas from trees. So you right. know what I mean? So, like, if, that's your, if that's your measuring tool, of course you're going to feel like, oh, I'm being radical. I don't believe in hanging niggas from trees. You know, right. yeah. I, I thought can, I, can I jump? No, I just wanted to veto to your point. I just want to add in um, with, like within the show, the West Wing itself, like Charlie's character. I mean, there are two there are two episodes that I remember or two instances I remember that kind of like show this sort of cultural logic of like liberalism or neoliberalism where it commodifies identity without actually getting to like material deep seated issues. There's one episode where um, there are these white supremacists who try to assassinate him um, because he's dating the president's daughter. And despite the fact that this directly affects him, the way that the show kind of tells the story is that everyone else around him, especially the president, is affected by this. Even though, you know, Charlie was the target of this white supremacist attack, right? So he's always a peripheral, like a character kind of on the periphery within the show. And there's this other scene that just kind of blew my fucking mind. And this is, again... Sorkin not only kind of being like racially oblivious, but also punching left, where Charlie is talking to this young man who's from Europe. I think he's from France or something, right? I think actually, I think Josh and Dave, I think I talked about this scene on uh, the episode I did with you guys. And the kid is talking about, you know, this French kid is talking about how, you know, social services and social safety net works in his country, right? Um, Obviously, he's supposed to be like the socialist, right? Um, Which is offensive, I guess, to Charlie, who ends up defending, right, like the kind of uh, means testing social safety net within the United States. And I just thought that was funny because as a black person, right, like Charlie's character is most adversely affected, right, by this racialized, quote, social safety net. 
but he's the one as the good black guy, right? As the as the house nigga, right? He's the one to explain to the audience, no, these liberal ideas are actually good, and they're especially good for black people, despite the fact that you have a character who is white but is also European who's telling him actually. Uh, it kind of implying, at least to me, watching it, actually, these policies would help you, Charlie. But you're defending them because you work for this president who, and this administration, which only kind of nominally, right, or I guess like superficially, right, touches on these issues, you know? A sad part it's, about it's that, though, is that there are a lot of Charlies out there, and I think that is pretty accurate, sadly. The, the problem is that it presents it totally, not just uncritically, but supportively, like Charlie's on the right side of things. And he's black, so you better listen to him. Where that's where it really loses me. But Avida, you were saying something? Oh no, I was just saying it's, it's like interest convergence. Like it's just so happens what I'm. I'm really interested in this, but it just so happens to touch on this other shit that you might be interested in. That's all I was gonna say. One more thing I was gonna say is I noticed when we have a full panel up here, people get quiet in the listener section. I think they just want to see people talk. So. Uh, by all means, do not be shy. Uh, call in if you want. Say say something. And I'm gonna throw another question out there, and people on the panel can talk about it, but people in the audience can. Come up no, and talk Tia. About no, Tia. I, get it. I really got to emphasize this. Listen, you, y'all, you, 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 you motherfuckers down there in the audience, listening. Okay, we want to hear from you too. All right. So tap that button, okay, and call, and, and and join the caller queue. Right. Yeah. We don't just want to hear ourselves talk. We want to know what you yeah, think. Exactly, exactly. This doesn't, have, this doesn't happen in Twitter spaces. In Twitter spaces, everybody <laughs> everybody has a fucking opinion in Twitter spaces, all right? Then we get in here, y'all motherfuckers quiet. I don't like that. Uh, yes, yeah, I, 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 I saw D, D, you were in the caller section. Come back. Um, I see some of our regular Champagne Sharks listeners. Go ahead and call in. Gabby, I see you. I'm going to call you niggas out. Gabby, I see another nigga. I can't think of his name. I don't see his. I don't see his thing. Oh, there you go. Bernard, I seen you. Adam, Camille. I mean, is it? Cam- I hope I'm saying it right. Camille or Camille. Um, you, y'all need to go ahead and call in because y'all regulars. Y'all know what we talk about. Y'all know how we talk. Y'all know what's up. And uh, the question I was going to ask to the, the panel and the audience was, I was going to say. Because I'm trying to think of things that people were saying to Aaron when they were really heated. And uh, one thing people were kind of saying is, what's the point? As in, like, let people enjoy things. People have fun with the show. Uh, the show is not hurting anybody. And uh, unfortunately, Luke had to go. But his article was very much about this. I would have loved to hear his answer to this. But what is what tangible good does it uh, do to keep pointing out how terrible... Uh, West Wing and specifically, and Aaron Sorkin in general, are if, if there is one. Dave, Dave? <laughs> I mean, look, the the liberals have no concept of power and how to make government work to get what you want. And this show, like we we've had this the discussion before of like what came first, the chicken or the egg, but. At the end of the day, the West Wing has greatly reinforced their happiness with nothing. And it's fucking disturbing, especially when we have fascism encroaching because nobody's material needs are being met and they're just being brutalized into the fucking dirt. And they're they're watching it and they're going, oh, this is how government works. Biden can't do anything. He's just totally helpless. I can't tell you how many... Democrats I've seen say, hey, look, 
uh, the Republicans are in control of Congress right now because they're just they've just been groomed to think watching the West Wing that this is how government works. Nothing gets done. You try, you do your best, but at the end of the day, nothing happens. Yeah, yeah and it's, and it's so propaganda. It's, it's, I mean, you have to call out. Look, I absolutely. mean, everything to some extent is propaganda for something, but this is explicit propaganda. And people think it's not, which is the best propaganda. We had a listener say that uh, West Wing was the most effective piece of American propaganda since birth of a nation. And yeah. I remember reading that and going, I cannot think. And I'm a movie guy, man. I, this is like my, you know, it's where I live and breathe. I can't think of another piece of American propaganda, certainly cinematic, that's had that kind of negative impact. And, you know, there's people out there, look, there's people listening to this who are like, yeah, we know that. But there's an awful lot of people who just don't understand the degree to which mass media, you know, doesn't necessarily create bad ideas, but it just keeps reinforcing. No, I wanted to say, I think especially too, you know, um, I think that, again, a lot of the people that were coming at me, you know, these so-called principal Marxists, you know, who are talking about, um, it's not very materialistic of you to um, give this show so much importance and shit. And it's like, shut the fuck up, man. I mean, it's the thing where it's like, it's kind of like, you know. What does that call, mean? Can you explain I mean, that? I mean, I, I guess what it means is that, again, because people believe that, as Marxists believe, that history is dictated by class struggle, right? And it's about material resources. It's not about the kind of movement of ideas, right? But rather about the movement of, like, working people struggling for self-determination, right? People believe that, then that means that culture isn't as important, right? Because culture is only secondary, where I would say that, I mean, it's kind of positive feedback loop, right? I mean, culture, I mean, the economic base affects culture and vice versa, you know? I mean, I kind of think it's important to talk about it because 20 years on after the fucking show, after its premiere, you have people like Jen Psaki who are talking about that this show inspired her to get back into politics. And I mean, it kind of shows you like the power, as you were saying, Josh, like the birth of a nation. I can't think of anything else like an American culture that's been as significant you know, Woodrow Wilson himself called it history written with lightning, you know? I mean, and I think, you know, similarly, you have people that actually took this worldview from the... Um, oh, yeah. No, I was saying, yeah, sort of, yeah, just to finish out, I guess I was saying, you know, I think it's important to talk about it because there are people who are in some of the most powerful positions of the world who actually think that, like, this show or this style of politics is sort of a model that they should aspire to, you know? And I mean, um, I think that's important to talk about, especially because the Democratic Party, as Dave, you were saying, they have no conception of power. Um, I don't really see a future for the Demo Democratic Party, although I guess there is one. Um, and it's troubling to see that they're still very much addicted to the West Wing, you know? I, I want to go to Dan to give him a chance to talk because he's in the queue and he's been patiently mm. waiting. But before we go to Dan, I want to say real quick, I don't even believe when people say that, oh, that's not a very materialistic thing. I, I, I don't even really mean it. I just think they're like, my feelings are hurt. I like this show. But what can I say to shame him out of talking about it? I don't really believe he really cared about that. But that's that's my two cents. But Dan. I want to uh, know who hates the keyboard. That's what I want to know. Who hates your, why do you hate your keyboard so much? You are it's gotta be Josh. Fucking that shit up. Yo, Josh is like he's not even typing on the keyboard with his fingers. He's he's like banging on he's it with like his knuckles. I'm not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> my, man, my man is he's hunting, he's hunting and pecking with a close I'm fist. Across the board. Okay, Do you again. hate your shit? I mean, you fucking that shit up. God damn it. Josh has a lot of Josh has a lot of rage, a lot of latent rage. Yeah. 
<laughs> Go ahead, Dan. I'm sorry. You have to unmute yourself. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah. Um, I think a lot of it is, um, I, I, I think it's a combination of things. I mean, like, I think Hollywood, just this is this is white supremacist society in general. There's just a lot of make work for anyone other other than black. So, like, I feel like that's part of it. Like, there's a there's a lot invested in keeping the system the way it is. So, I think that's one of the biggest parts of it. But I also think. Yeah, um, and I also think that, um, like, with Susan Sarandon, for example, like, they still bring up that she votes green now. And it's like, I think a lot of celebrities don't want to get her treatment. So that's all I had to say. Yeah, that was a good point. I agree with Dan. Thank you, Dan. And D? Hey, how's it going? Oh, that is not how I supposed to be. I thought you were a black woman. I'm I'm someone, you know, I know people probably vary on the call in terms of electoral politics. As someone who actually is someone who is black and actually still is believes in electoral politics, I think it's just made uh, liberals kind of so like silly about how they approach the process. Like even this, even this constant refrain from like people like Pelosi or I think Biden say it, where they're like, we want a good Republican party. That way we can, you know, join hands and have the good ones and have a spirited debate. And the, the other thing that West Wing did to me is it made politics. And you really see this from liberals. It made politics about personality, you know, like all the entire show is basically various different personalities having like one-on-one meetings and the, you know, Bartlett meeting with uh, someone in, uh, the Chinese leader by himself and hashing out a deal. And politics isn't really about personalities. It's not about, per, uh, you know, liberals, for example, have personal fandom. That's just very problematic where it's like, we can't criticize Obama. You can't criticize Clinton because these are people we need to personally root for as if they're like some, you know, person in our family or something rather than elected officials that we need to hold accountable. So I think, those are kind of a couple ways in which uh, the West Wing has ruined uh, politics. Yeah, and that that extends to what we're seeing in, in Ukraine right now. Uh, mm-hmm. The president of Ukraine is like a gift from the West Wing for liberals. Like they they cannot get over how amazing he is. And then of yeah. course you have the villain at the same time, and it it it, it oversimplifies what is an extremely complicated situation. They're literally now just reading between two characters that are almost at almost stepped out of their TV shows. It's really fucking disturbing. Yeah, it, it, it really is disturbing the way that like liberalism, I mean, like you said, they were seeing it with Ukraine where people are comparing it to like Harry Potter and star Wars and shit, you know? And I mean, the show really does have this very like simple good versus evil binary. And, but I mean, then when they get to gray areas and the compromise, it's compromising with Republicans, you know? So, I mean, the show itself doesn't really have any coherent politics. And I do want to add, too, another thing I think it does is that um, it kind of it kind of really prioritizes decorum and being polite. You know, I think um, Rob Lowe, I think he made a tweet during the Democratic primary where he said something like, oh, Bernie Sanders is yelling at me while talking about how he's going to raise our taxes. Um, interesting way to communicate. You know, because these motherfuckers, like, they really, like, they really place a high value on, you know, decorum and politeness, you know. 
So anyone who's yelling, even if they're yelling for justified reasons, right, they shouldn't be listened to or taken seriously. We're just an appropriate for reasons for why the show, I think, has value to talk about and discuss today is, for me, it was kind of like, I forget what you called it. Is it a cipher? Something that you use to crack a code or translate a language or something or universal translator. But yeah. there were so many things about liberals that I did not understand until I saw the show. For, like, for example, uh, there was a book that I always saw these liberals reading on the train and when I was commuting to work, and it was Team of Rivals. And I was like, why is everyone reading this book? And then I looked at the book, and I'm like, yeah, it seems okay, but, I mean, there should be more interesting books out there. So I ended up not getting the book. Because a lot of times when I see a lot of people reading a book, I get interested and in, in sometimes buy it. But the description was very dull. But after I watched The West Wing, I, I realized, oh, wait a minute. They're enjoying the book because it's about people compromising. Like, they actually have wet dreams about compromise. Like, that's the full extent, <laughs> like, the full extent of the fantasy, of the aspirations. Like, 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 like conservatives, like, want to read about Braveheart-type stories and, you know, uh, crazy things. But these people actually look back and think, oh, my God, can you remember the days when Lincoln had to sit down and compromise? And that's, like... And I, I said, that's what they like about it. He had to sit down with people on the other side and just try to figure out how to get things done. And I started, yeah, little things do like you that. Think, it, hmm? I was going to ask, do you guys think that this is a representation of how white Americans want to see America? Oh, for sure. Versus yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like, they, they, I mean, it's this, it's kind of like, uh, Ma- uh, Martin Luther King talking about a sort of negative piece, you know? I mean, like, liberalism and I guess whiteness, and I mean, I use these things interchangeably because I guess liberalism is like this extension of a project of whiteness, right? Like, they don't actually want to fight for anything, right? They, they have no con- conception of conflict or wielding power. And I mean, it's sort of like the easier and better thing to do is to wow someone with your rhetorical skills. Like, they really have this, like, really weird like kind of horned out like obsession with like i guess the socratic method kind of thing where they think that no the way we're going to change things is through the power of ideas and it doesn't actually mean that we have to organize or build like an effective working class to combat like white supremacy or like the excesses of capitalism or capitalism itself no we just need to tweak around the edges and all that means tweaking around the edges is just sounding good you know I would say, I, I think white liberals actually want the world to be this way, but I think white conservatives pretend to. Like, they want white liberals to want the world to be this way, but they still plan to fight and ram everything through that they can. So I think for white liberals, it's a fantasy of how they want the world to be, and for uh, white conservatives, it's how they pretend that they also want the world to be, but they don't actually sincerely uh, want to do this higher ground bullshit, even though people like Hillary well, Clinton like to believe that uh, they exist, these good Republicans. The show the show actually justifies um, not taking on heinous things. Like, there's a thing I always go back to is the first lady... Um, takes a stand against child slavery and makes a statement against child slavery. And because through some sort of trade bullshit, offending that country will mess up something they're trying to do, they they make the first lady back off of her anti-child slavery comment. 
What? It, 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 the yes. Show, <laughs> I remember that. I remember that episode. The what? Literally, the show literally justifies um, sort of getting trade shit done over the most heinous shit you could possibly have happen. It's it, it's it's a way to just completely obliterate morality and say, well, this is how it's got to be. I mean, that's one of the main themes of the show. Well, it's after liberalism, right? That's what it is. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. But so, Trevor, I think Trevor, I think Josh is sorry. I think Josh is trying to get back in. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll put Josh. I'll put yeah. Josh back in. I didn't mean yeah, to yeah. kicked out. I was, sorry about I, that, Mateo. Yeah. Sorry. I, 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 I was expecting. Do you guys want me to hang up? Go ahead, Mateo. I'm, I'm actually done. I was thinking, you know, all, all I want to say is, like, you can't conflate 90s triumphalism and, like, 90s liberal desire to pretend Bush wasn't elected. Uh, Aaron Sorkin is a particular dude. Uh, 1961 Manhattan dad copyright lawyer, GI Bill. It's a very specific kind of American. He had a musical theater degree. You know, Joe Potato Steel Mill America is not born in Manhattan to a copyright lawyer. Um, you know, it's a, it's a different perspective. It's a particular perspective. And what I think, I think you can't really conflate the show itself with that kind of moment of like a liberal in 2004 wishing Bush had lost and it was still the late 90s. And, uh, and, and you know, and the particular individual uh, take of a late baby boomer, which is what Sorkin was, born in 1961. Uh, it's a very particular time and place. And a lot of, a lot of that world is just People, uh, people digesting Sorensen, you know, uh, JFK's brains, Sorensen, um, like 30 years later without really knowing who Sorensen was or what they're absorbing at all. But it was just kind of that passive, feel-good Clintonian soup that went with, like, Cold War victory and the good times that the 90s were. And the 90s were fun. When, when you see them dancing in the Macarena, they really were having fun. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Thank you for the comment, Mateo. Does anybody want to uh, add to Mateo's point? No. And, I'm, and I'm moving on to the next mm. caller just to keep the queue mm. moving. But to Mateo and to anyone else who gets moved down, uh, you're free mm. to come back up again. We just like to keep the queue movement moving. Yeah. Uh, I just want to add, I just want to add real quick that I think that's a really good point, too. Like the 90s, I think, where this, uh, you know, again, very like kind of carefree time. And I think like the show like definitely kind of like um, kind of expresses that, which is another reason why I think people are nostalgic for it, you know. Can I ask a question? Because when you, when you guys say 90s was kind of a carefree time, what does that mean? Like what, do you, what specifically, who, who specifically was it a carefree time? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a very good point. Yeah. It's a wild time. So I, I'm yeah. from South Central. So 90s in South Central was mm-hmm. a wild time. I was watching the Beanie Babies documentary. They got a Beanie Babies documentary about that whole era. And they, they said that same thing. They said, well, the 90s, it was just so carefree. And I'm thinking, did did the riots not happen in the 90s? Like, what are we talking about here? So when people say um, it was a carefree time, carefree time for who? Because it was a pretty wild time where I was at. I think they mean like the, the economy and the whole um, boom. But they're taking the middle class values is normative unfortunately you know like um, mm-hmm. yeah and just and just broadcasting that for everybody which as you're pointing out so go ahead say, david i'm sorry 
Oh, no, you're fine. I was just going to say that I, I, I haven't watched the show, but from listening to you guys talk about it, it seems like it demonstrates how kind of consumerized we are. And kind of like to your point, the fact that we say, who was it a, I mean, who was it a, a carefree time for? And I guess it was for the people who were allowed to be just total consumers, which were the people who were already winning, which tend to Ooh, be proportionately, nice. you know, wealthy people or rich people. And, and those people tend to be disproportionately white. So I guess my question is, <laughs> looking at the show, how is it, or rather, Americans, it seems like you have a difference between a consumer and a citizen. A citizen being the person who actually gets involved in mutual aid, a person who gets involved in direct action, whereas you have a consumer who is this person who's like, oh, who can I vote out to make this problem go away? Who can I send money to to make this problem no longer my problem? Because I actually care about these things. And I feel like that's kind of where you get the dichotomy between electoral politics is dead and we have to go third party and we have to be in the streets protesting every day versus the people who are like, well, why don't we run third party candidates first? Uh, and I mean, or run within the side of the Democratic Party to make way for third party candidates. Like, my question, I guess, is how do you consolidate those two? Because our strength is in both the consumerized person and the citizen. I, I don't, I don't, I just, I don't know how you move forward to kind of even have any actual change in the system. Yeah, I, I, I kind of get what you're saying. And um, because I think that in the United States, the way that people conceptualize politics is through individuals, you know? Um, and I mean, I'm not even going to get into like, you know, kind of starting like, I mean, not even progressive, but dare I say socialist project and how to kind of combine those two things. Um, I mean, even if it's possible, sort of the reverence for like a figure, but also like this action that's kind of buoyed by this actual working class, like movement, you know, or at least like movement on the ground. Um, but I think within the context of the show, at least, or liberalism, I think that's why, like, the show is kind of such a failure, right, for any sort of, like, liberal politics, not even liberal politics, but politics writ large going forward, because it's not about, like, the people on the street, right? It very much is about Bartlett and his great speeches and the individuals within his, his administration who, you know, just happen to, like, be good people trying to do the right thing, you know? Um, but I mean, that's why the show, like, sort of like, uh, it always punches left, right? It, it mocks people who actually have a conception of politics that isn't just about giving big speeches and actually is about interacting with communities, you know? Um, so I don't, I don't have an answer for that, but the show is definitely not a good model uh, for any sort of um, um, kind of political project. Something David said about the consumerist attitude toward politics. Another thing mm. I thought about is the speak to your manager mindset. Like, that's, that's another thing mm. that people think politics is like they just want a manager to speak to to complain uh not to do any actual grassroots organizing and put like real real pressure you know they just want um that model like 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 the karen model of um of dissent but uh what i was saying before about how so many things that people people do in politics that i now or just discourse that i now realize the west wing is a perfect example of um, Damon Damon Lindelof. Uh, Watchmen was painted as this great political allegory and one of the smartest things of you know 2020, whatever year it came out. And in an interview mm. with him, 
one of the big things, or multiple ones, Esquire, Uproxx, all these places, they kept praising how um, he went at both sides, liberals and conservatives, you know, which which was inherently supposed to be a good thing. It doesn't matter what he's saying about them, but the fact that he's going at both somehow makes him an enlightened person, even if his views on why he's criticizing both is uh, really daffy. So when they praised him, for example, in Uproxx interview for... Uh, critiquing both, when they asked him, so what are you trying to uh, complain about with liberals? And he says, I think that there's this sort of fantasy among liberals, of which I consider myself one, that if we controlled the White House and both houses of Congress, that the world would be some sort of utopia. I'm more interested in seeing what happens when liberal ideologies don't work out the way that we're told, because there's sort of a downside to overregulation. I do believe that taking everybody's guns away is a really bad idea for a variety of reasons. So I want to see what that would look like in practice. So I think it's a little bit easier to make fun of liberals because I'm a liberal than it is for me to make fun of conservatives. And I think that is just a classic case of every Twilight Zone that I ever loved. It starts with the wish. You know, I wish that people would just leave me alone so I could read my books. And then it ends up with the nightmare, which is I broke my glasses. I think that this idea of if liberals were in charge, racism would no longer be a problem is bullshit. Racism ain't going anywhere anytime soon, and nobody's got a good solution for it. So, I mean, that is an example of how, like, even though the show is over, that poisonous mindset of, you know, let's let's fantasize and uh, romanticize our impotence as, you know, wisdom, and that... this is what liberalism is and Mm. the best it can be is just something that recognizes its own impotence and is always gracious to the other side. And like, he's actually saying that he doesn't want to win. He doesn't Mm. want to actually control both houses of Congress. Like, like again, the team of rivals thing. Yeah. I mean, I think that's interesting. Lindelof's comment because, um, I mean, that fucking show Watchmen starts with the black cop getting shot because he can't access his gun because of the bureaucratic sort of loopholes for him to get, like, access to use his gun. Like, he has to radio into his station, right, so that his gun, he can use it to fire, and he ends up getting murdered by, like, I mean, that whole, it's fucking insane. There is no iteration of America in which this is a thing that ever happens. Even in fantasy, <laughs> even in fantasy, it's taking me out of the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel that, that's so Sorkin. Sorkin would do something dumb like that. Well, to, to what you were saying a little bit uh, ago about the sort of fantasy and, and bipartisanship, we've talked about this on the show a bunch. There was a remember, there's a whole thread of, um, especially after the 2016 election, of people on social media sort of fantasizing about the alternate universe where Hillary was president. And I saw this a bunch, but the one I remember that was just so key was, you know, someone was like, in the alternate universe where Hillary's president, she's just signed a bipartisan health care bill into law. And I'm like, that's your fantasy? <laughs> like, when I fantasize about an alternate universe where fucking anything can happen, it is not a bipartisan health care bill. You know? It's, it's, and that's, Dude, that's it- the liberal imagination. Even in even in their fucking, I mean, I mentioned it before, but even in the, the show, I mean, a show in which you can do anything. I mean, you can do anything you fucking want, man. You're not right. bound by any sort of like the rules of like society and history or whatnot, right? And even in the fucking show, seven seasons, Bartlett did nothing, 
absolutely fucking nothing. But win re-election. That was it. Right? Which, actually, Josh Lyman, there's a, there's a scene, a flashback episode or a scene where Josh Lyman... Uh, is an aide to a Democratic senator, and they're in a meeting where the senator is conspiring to privatize Social Security, right? And Lyman, who I guess is supposed to be more idealistic in this flashback, um, tries to speak up during the meeting, but gets shut down. And after the meeting, he walks up to the senator. And, I mean, this scene, this bit of dialogue is like, I don't know if, at first, I guess I thought Sorkin was sort of, like, at least, like, revealing a little bit of the cynicism Right, of liberalism, but I actually think the scene is a flashback to kind of show how Josh has matured, right? Because what Josh says to the senator, he says, okay, when we win elections, who really wins, right? And that is absolutely all that liberalism or against the Democratic Party or against the show, because again, the only thing that Bartlett does is win re-election. That's what it's about for them. It's about winning. It's not actually about wielding power once they win or governing, you know, God forbid they have to fucking govern, you know? Uh, hey, they, the show, they did do something, Good. by the way. Uh, Bartlett does accomplish something. He did uh, assassinate an uh, Iranian official. Oh, yeah, but Dave, that was the first time in American history anyone had ever done that. <laughs> if anything, the West the West Bank predicted it, if anything, with uh, Solomati, I guess, right? Yeah. That's so true, because that's one of the first most decisive things they ever had him do, and it was so heinous. Like, I was <laughs> But but to your point about sort of like winning and everything, I mean, we literally just finished. We have been walking our way through with guests every week. Uh, Aaron has won um, the Hillary Clinton masterclass in resilience. And it's really just, you know, four hours of Hillary Clinton talking about herself. But whenever she talks about her career, which is most of it, it's always in terms of her personal achievement. Always. And whatever little impact there is on the world around her, it's what will happen to young girls if she shatters the glass ceiling. And it's all about, and she talks about ambition and how you should have ambition, but all of her ambition is personal. And, and she's revered by some of these people, you know, and it's like, it's, it's, yeah, it's all about like the personal accomplishments of these folks um, with no recognition of the fact that, you know, there's an entire country of people who aren't going to benefit from your ambition. Uh, hey, Gabby, I wanted to give you a chance to speak. I also want to thank uh, David as well for uh, his contribution. But hey, Gabby, how's it going? Yeah. Hey, how are you? Um, I see Josh is back from cleaning cocaine off his uh, keyboard. (laughs) Um, Speaking of coke, um, I want to talk a little bit about Aaron Sorkin's writing. Um, Also, I actually, I should say, like, is this a safe space to admit that I only watched the show because my crush was a poli sci major and in college and now surprised he is a campaign manager for some democrats so you did up. that to your damn self <laughs> <laughs> you did that to yourself no, listen, no, like, this is no one told you this was a safe space you didn't even confirm that before you said it wait 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 you're was... speaking to the mic or something because you sound kind of far away oh, oh I'm, on, I'm on my headphones that's okay if i was her i'd be talking quiet too I mean, listen, Gabby, don't make, listen, I used to work for the Democratic Party for like 10 years, man. No shame, all right? You know, we, we, we all come around. You know? No, I'm not to defend Gabby. I would that. respect somebody more for watching the show because of a crush than because they actually believe in the values. That's true. So. That's true. Oh, yeah, I believed in the show. That's why I watched it, man. You better off than me. Fuck. Yeah, come on, guys. At least I got laid out of it. What do you guys get? Um, so, 
So no, um, yeah, it's it's it was the, definitely I watched it during the Obama like after glow era, you know, the very first term. So it was a different vibe. But um, I want to talk a little bit about actually something Josh just mentioned, which is the like Sorkinism. I actually want to drop this. I don't know if you, have you guys seen that supercut of Sorkin characters speaking. I mean, he does this. He has a lot of things, oh, yeah. obviously, and he has a very distinct yeah. style. But one yeah, thing they the do is they constantly mention where they went to college or they went to school. That's not Sorry, me. Are you hearing me? No, no, it's fine. Oh, can you? Are you hearing me? Though? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can hear you. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. So there's a thing where they're constantly, um, yeah, talking about like I. There's like a Ivy League complex, and people constantly talking about their accomplishments and one upping each other during, you know, a smoke break or a water break. Versus again, like I honestly, I could not, I could not tell you one thing that's happened on the show. That's all I remember from dialogue, obviously, and like the aesthetic and walking and talking. But there's something to be said about, um, and I think it speaks a lot to just the type of writer Sorkin is. I'm interested to see the new uh, To Kill a Mockingbird production. I think, you know, to get tickets for that, to see what he's done to it. But he does have this tendency with even like the movies, he's hit and miss for me, but like, I do like when he's reeled in by a, like a director like Fincher. Like I think he does a great job with like Social Network or like the um, Molly's Games. You know, like those types of productions as opposed to the political stuff. Because even in Molly's Game, like Idris Elba's character. Sorry, I'm reeling off a little bit, but he is kind of like yeah, the magical black person in the room that she turns to, and it's like he just doesn't know how to write anybody but like a Yale grad like Josh from you know from these shows or whatnot like that prototype that is basically him you know growing up in westchester in the 70s so he's always doing these dorks that are somehow irresistible to women mm-hmm. even despite being very smarmy and okay to be horrible... fair did it work did it work on me i mean yeah it did <laughs> um no okay, that part is um, bad. but yeah that's that is that is i will I, and i think a lot of people are have like yeah in the last couple of years there's been a backlash which is what we're talking about but there was that specific era when the show was like on DVD slash and going to streaming that where it really was popular, which is when I was watching it. So I just wanted to, um, I don't know, add that in. But Well, I would, I would always say to keep back, there were, um, and by the way, you should check it out. We did an episode a couple of years ago with Chris Wayne from Chapo, who has seen To Kill a Mockingbird. And it's every, you know, Sorkin getting anywhere near politics is bad enough, but Sorkin doing race is just horrifying. It, 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 it may dissuade you from giving him your money. Hey, Josh, but hey, Josh, I, I will say to think Dave's, that's a quick question. Uh, yeah. How does Sorkin ruin To Kill a Mockingbird? Because I would think he'd be constrained by the text. Does he have freedom? He's not. To, like, oh, like... no, no. He does massive rewrites. Oh, um, wow. Massive oh, rewrites. Okay, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, he just does. It's just bizarre. It's like he, you listen to him talk about it, and it's, you know, forgive me for using the term, but it's like Sorkin got woke on Monday and rewrote To Kill a Mockingbird on Tuesday. So that he could explain all of you know, could explain race to the rest of us, is um, it's it's kind of creepy, but worth worth listening to. But um, to the other stuff, yeah, I mean, I agree. Sometimes you know, I don't mind the social network. I don't love it the way a lot of people do. He's definitely improved when he's not doing politics, and when there's somebody else kind of directing him and and beating him down. Um, but uh, as somebody who uh, started watching the show when it first aired and dropped off very quickly. Mostly out of boredom. I didn't have a fully formed critique. And I know Dave, I think, Dave, what did you go, about a season? Um, uh, I went about a season and a half, yeah. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was just literally, you know, people were like, why don't you watch it? And I was like, it's liberal porn. 
And that was it. It was just, it's literally, I'm not, I'm not interested. It's not challenging me in any way. It's not challenging its audience in any way. And there were, there were always people who were sort of not loving it, but yeah, you're right. It was, it was very um, beloved at the time uh, for the most part, but there, there were outcroppings of us who were like, not, not drinking the Kool-Aid. The weird thing about, I say with pride. The weird thing about the show to me, cause I didn't see when it first aired was I forgot there was an era where what was up with white men dressing like Steve Harvey? Like those suits are horrible. <laughs> like they're so baggy and you weird. Mean like the multicolored suits that like the jacket is long as hell type of shit, looking like a Batman villain type of shit. Yeah, yeah, looking like Batman the animated series with those huge, yeah. you know, billowing like suits. Yeah, yeah, looked awful. But uh, hey, hey, Allison. Uh, hey, can y'all hear me? Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so I am 32, and I didn't watch uh, West Wing until I like, until Bernie lost in 2016, um, and then I was just disgusted. Um, typically, I actually don't watch anything in English. I watch like Chinese or Korean or like Spanish TV shows and movies because like ugh, I'm tired of these white directors and writers just like writing their own wish fulfillment. Um, so my question to y'all is like, do you have any good like? stuff that we should be watching that you would recommend um that is like good propaganda for the left um like actual left not like this neoliberal bullshit left but like for communists. where do you think um, you are going to find communist agitprop in tv fiction exactly exactly <laughs> so i'm thinking we may have to like crowdfund some of these projects like i'm sure there's like these projects are coming out of universities or like they're at the film shows but people just don't know about them um so it's yeah, that, that's my big thing is, like, do we really, like, got to give, like, coins to people um, to make good left, like, actual things? Or maybe it's just not in English. Maybe it's in, like, Cuban or it's in Russian or other, you know, other languages entirely. And we just don't know about it because, you know, Anglo, you know, Anglophones, you know, hate people who actually, you know, want good things for the society. I feel uh, like this would be Trevor, good for Josh. Trevor, Josh is it okay has... if I – oh, sorry, what? Oh, 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 I think I'd say I think this would be up Josh's alley because Josh knows about a lot of good old school um, movies and stuff that people are sneaking in kind of communist agitprop in plain sight. So I was gonna yeah, I mean, there's a whole thing think. that goes on. Well, first I want to I was gonna ask you, okay, if I hype something of my own, which you're anyway, I, oh, I, of course, by um, all means, go ahead. It's not on TV. I wrote an audio drama, two seasons, which is basically an old time radio show, fully scripted, uh, called Bronzeville with Lawrence Fishburne and Lawrence Tate and. I mean, just one of the most amazing casts I've ever got to work with in my life. Two full seasons. That was, it's about the numbers rackets in Chicago in the forties. And I got away with so much stuff politically. It was ridiculous because nobody was hanging over us, breathing down my neck to the extent that one of the heroes of the second season is a um, uh, Jewish communist attorney who uh, gets, gets a guy off for murdering his landlord. So it's, it's out there. It's not on TV, but, but there is, um, but there are a lot of people you know, working in this industry who, you know, whose sympathies are, you know, lie far more, the, you know, in line with this crowd than with Hollywood. But you, you have to, and, and we have always been here, uh, you have to smuggle stuff in. And, yeah. you know, one of the things that, um, and I know it's a, it's a hot button issue, the, this movie, but like Black Panther, one of the things that was really interesting to me was, you know, for all the talk of, you know, T'Challa being, you know, Barack Obama and, you know, there being a CIA character as the hero. Um, historically speaking, there's an awful lot of movies where the writers, the filmmakers 
have the villains speaking their true hearts. And you listen to it. I'm kind of, what is his name again? The bad guy in that? The great... Um, uh, uh, Killmonger. Killmonger. Yeah, um, Killmonger, yeah. yeah you, he's got the best monologues in that movie, and that's not an accident. And Hollywood won't let you make that guy the hero, but they will let you put him in the movie and let him be the villain as long as you kill him off at the end. But that's sort of a way of smuggling stuff into mainstream entertainment. And, you know, it's not as effective as, as just being able to make straight-up propaganda, but it is a way of getting that stuff out there. Um, I, 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 my friend, well, so I was watching, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, SpongeBob with my son. Yes. The SpongeBob episode. This episode comes on and I'm like, holy shit, this episode is just straight up fucking socialism. And I, I couldn't believe what I was watching. And then about a month later, I brought up to a friend and he's like, yeah, I wrote that. And I got fired right after Oh shit! Oh, you know what though? You know what? I should say no. I should I should definitely correct myself because uh, there is a contingent of tankies that do genuinely believe black sales is communist agit prop. I've heard of that before. Yeah. Oh. And uh, also, uh, comrade detective. I know a lot of people say. Oh, that's it's interesting. People call it both pro-communist and anti-communist. So I don't know. But it's a complicated, interesting show. Yeah. Oh, perfect. Very, very I'm sorry, Leslie's show. not here. I wish Leslie Lee were here because we could we could go off together. But I, I just finished watching. Uh, here's a show that is like the biggest show in the country right now that nobody in our cohort watches. Yellowstone. Yellowstone. Yeah, I just I just watched Which the is, like, that's not, that. That's not. I watch Yellowstone. Okay, but it's it's not. You know, everybody's talking about Euphoria, which has an audience of fourteen. Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah, the thing yeah, with Yellowstone, yeah, no one watches that show. Yeah, Yellowstone is like it's it's the anti-West Wing because it's not only really well written and fleshed out characters and fun and dramatic and action packed and shit happens, but that guy is taking advantage of the fact because it's a huge hit, especially in red states. He's just packing it to the gills, and it's not sophisticated, you know, communist critiques of America. He's just cramming in basic leftist shit down people's throats, and they're loving it. You know, one of the main characters is teaching critical race theory to a bunch of white people, and you love her. And Kevin Costner is getting involved with, like, you know, this environmentalist who's protesting developers. And, and I mean, it's just, it's, it's amazing. It's like, and he's getting away with it because the show's a massive hit. And, and it's, it's very it's, macho. He, he gives it a it's very, very macho. macho. It, it, it's anti-soy, but... It feels like it's aesthetic, yeah. but it's full of uh, stuff that people would kind of wretch if they heard it coming from like someone that they considered "quote unquote" for lack of a better word, uh, soy. So that's kind of brilliant. Of, of yeah, because you're watching it, you're thinking about who it's targeted at and who's really eating it up, and it's like, holy shit! If there was a show, if the West Wing, you know, I mean, the West and the West Wing has very conservative politics, but nowhere near it, it, they don't balance out the leftist politics at Yellowstone. That show is just cramming them down people's throats it's amazing yeah and i said for old stuff for new stuff it's pretty bad but for like old stuff we had recently watched uh patty chayefsky uh network who i think funnily enough the only good thing that i think about aaron sorkin which is the pattern and the cadence i realized he just ripped off of chayefsky oh, just so stripped of any of its yeah yeah he just stripped he just stripped all the intelligence out of Chayefsky and just yep. kept the patter and the cadence. But um, Network, I thought, had a lot of good anti-capitalist uh, critiques. Oh, for sure. Yep. Um, Battle for Algiers is a really good, I think, uh, piece of propaganda that's good. Uh, that's amazing. Set, yeah, not not American. Yeah, yes, Spooky Sat by the Door is American, but 
it was pulled from theaters once they actually realized what they financed. It, they thought it was gonna be a black <laughs> they thought it was gonna be a black exploitation movie, and then when it was made, they realized it was actually a blueprint for black guerrilla warfare, and they pretty much shelved it. And Tim Reed found it like in a warehouse, like uh, a decade or two ago, and re-released it. But yeah, the FBI took it out of theaters. So those are some movies. That's that... amazing. Yeah, no, Ivan Dixon managed to. I, I was a kid. I saw it in theaters. The, Ivan Dixon managed to. Convince the people he was making the movie for that he was making a black exploitation film, and he'd even send them fake dailies and managed to cobble together this incredible film. That, oh, I didn't know he had fake um, dailies. I think it's being crazy. redone now as a big budget miniseries, and I doubt it'll have the politics. Oh, oh, oh it has. It's my less, you guys it's my... talking about what, what the, movie was that? The Spook Who Sat by the Door. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. Yeah, and Lee Daniels. It's choppy. I mean, it's amateur hour because they had very little money and, and very little time, but it's, it's kind of amazing. Uh, yeah, I love that movie. Hey, Gabo, feel free to unmute. And I, and I think we're going to end after Jazz Free. So, uh, yeah, no one else entered the queue. But uh, hey, Gabo. Do you hear me? Hello? Yeah, I can hear you. Hello? Yeah. You sound great. Okay. Hell yeah. Sorry. This is my first time doing this. And the fuck, speaking of, I don't know if everyone's doing this shit on their phone, but. Uh, what the hang up button is right by the unmute button, which is very poor. It's, I got thrown out because of that. Yeah, it's very dangerous. Horrible. Yeah, or put it on the other side. All that, stuff. yeah. I actually, anyway. wrote to people about that to change that. Yeah, wow. Um, anyway, okay. I honestly think that uh, the last question and the, the setup and stuff was like the perfect uh, setup to my question, which is sort of a little more abstract, I guess, but ties into all this, especially because we were talking about try it like sort of how they've had to inject any sort of like leftist communist type stuff in like bigger media and stuff. And especially after they started cracking down on that. But um, on the flip side of that, we have shows like the West wing and stuff where obviously like super liberal and stuff of that nature. But um, I, I just wonder like, is, is there like something inherent to like liberalism and that sort of like thought press process and, and politics that requires um, the, the viewer, the voter, um, just be beat over the fucking head and have no sort of actual like subtlety or like nuance or even necessarily sort of, yeah, setup or explanation to, to, to like dispense poli their politics to. Um, and, and on the flip side, yeah, I guess, is there something to like left, uh, thought communism, whatever that just by nature of the, the, the framework and stuff it's operating in that requires it be sort of like more nuanced and, uh, not your standard fucking two hour big budget, you know, very clear what the fuck this is trying to articulate, um, Type movie or media, I guess rather. Uh, does anybody in the panel want to? <laughs> uh, I was, well, I was gonna say, I think, um, I think that it is. I think that this kind of tendency to make kind of sweeping overgeneralizations and to kind of um, not just be ignorant, but purposefully avoid nuance. Yeah, I think that's just intrinsic within liberalism, you know, um, 
you know, and I know I was talking about it before, kind of this dichotomy between materialism and, and kind of idealism. But idealism is kind of the sense that history is motivated by the great ideas of great individuals, you know, um, that this is how empires are kind of built and fall, you know, and I think that liberalism, it's kind of tendency to individualize things and atomize things, alienate them from their material kind of base and structure. I mean, I think that's why you end up with like, kind of a uh, banners like practical idealism, which you know, you see in the, one of the first episodes of the West Wing, you know, this kind of ethos, again, yeah. as, we, as we've been talking about, of logic and of reason. And, and if only you can make this argument, right, this kind of bulletproof argument, um, then you can actually affect material change. But I mean, yeah, it's just, I think it's just intrinsic to the way that liberalism works, right? It's internal. Yeah, because I think of like liberalism as like a politic to it. Like I, I fucking see the, the yard signs, like the, I, I, in this house, we believe in science, like all that shit. Mm. um or or like just kids in cages like type shit or even now like how it's it's spun into the ukraine shit it's just like very binary very like yeah just bashing yeah the viewer the voter over the head and i see the same shit in the west wing you know about like talking about how fucking great negotiation and compromise and shit like that is as opposed to any actual like critique or anything well, there is very much a liberal cult of intelligence, and I think I think uh, it's very exemplified in the West Wing. And I think it's a symptom of having an overeducated society, where it's like because uh, I feel as we even with like with movies and TV shows, like all these new mystery box shows that are like the J.J. Abrams, uh, Damon Lindelof model. It's these shows where. The audience, uh, Jordan Peele movies, even though I, I like Get Out, I started getting tired of his movies because they played to this too. This idea of we have an overeducated society, I feel, and now people just want to feel like they're taking the SAT or doing an admissions exam 24-7. So even like movie traders, the movie trader, the whole joy of the movie trader is trying to figure out what the hell the movie's about and yeah. and pick apart clues and or tell you what eggs. Yeah, yeah, that's on you anything, you know, like uh episode of a show comes out and then someone does an Easter egg article, like all the things that you might have missed in this show. And then you, you read the article to see if you spotted everything that you were supposed to spot. If you saw every Easter egg, if you saw every um mystery box clue. And I feel like oh, they, did that heavy with, um, they did that heavy with that one movie you just talked about earlier, the superhero one. The Watchmen. Watchmen. They did that heavy with Watchmen. Exactly, um, yeah. Show, yeah. Yeah, but, well, yeah, the but TV you know show that. is heavy in your face and the fucking, the comic is not. There's subtlety and stuff, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. And and, 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 and the comics, it has like a purpose. Like, yeah. the, t- the TV show is just trivia. It's just basically A couple things here. And one interesting fact, as I was doing my research for this show, um, most of the watchers of that show West Wing are college educated. So they're the ones oh, who sure. had a much higher favorable opinion of that show. But what I was going to say was, I think a lot of it also, I think people want to feel like that degree was useful. So you have to feel like you're smarter or better than other people. That's what I really think that's about. It's yeah. like, everybody, because think about it, this is like the most people in college like ever, right? Um, 
And most of even in the black community, people didn't even start going to colleges until like the eighties, like in, in, in mass, right? Um, so I but I, I think a lot of it has to do with that. It's like, you know, you done got this degree, you know, you know a bunch of shit, and now you wanna feel like you're somehow superior. So I think that's what some of that's about. Yeah, and even uh, that's a really good article. And that's about funny this. too, because it's college educated viewers and all that, but the West Wing's the most like fucking spoon fed, like yeah. baby shit on its surface, like anyway. So it's like the the posturing is the educated, the fucking the the all knowing, the the politic expert type shit. But in reality, no, you just want that spoon fed like like uh shoot it in my veins, fast talking, walking. On our podcast we call it on our podcast we call it dumb smart. Like it's dumb in only the way a smart person can be dumb. Like there's a very specific way for educated people to be dumb. And I feel like yeah. the West Wing is exactly uh that in a nutshell. But uh Gabba, thanks so much for um I would just, uh, can I just yep, add one thing to that because yep. we were talking about it made me think of it. I know there's a lot of people on the left who are uh uh, have shadow all over this film, but when I think of like what the movie was about, what it was trying to do, and who it was trying to reach, uh, I think I think Adam McKay hit the ball out of the park this year with "Don't Look Up" because it managed to reach a shit ton of people on that audience. It managed to get people on the right, and it managed to get a lot of people. It, it pissed off the right people when you watch the liberal media getting angry at that movie because they're recognizing that it's calling them out, and then you're watching people in that audience who don't normally think that way recognizing that it's calling out the liberal media. I think he's, you know, there's something to be said for making populist entertainment that hammers these messages over people's head in a way that, um, quote unquote, more sophisticated stuff doesn't even attempt to. I I think it was a really admirable film. Uh, I want to recommend an article about what I was just talking about uh, by Rick Perlstein. Uh, He wrote an article for BAFTA called um, Outsmarted. And he just talks about, like, the liberal cult of the cognitive elite and how, you know, liberals who believe heavily in the idea of IQ and credentials and, and how it influences a lot of their uh, terrible politics. And, you know, even though he ties them into people like conservatives who believe in the bell curve. It's, it's a very interesting uh, article. I just always like to recommend that one. But uh, what's it called again? Free- Oh, it's called Outsmarted, and it's, and it's in Baffler by uh, Rick Perlstein. And okay, yes, yeah, it's, it's pretty good. Uh, can I add, can I add something then too? Because uh, I was thinking we were talking Please about do. no. Um, so when the show came out, I think for some historical context, um, and I mean I'm probably not the best person to talk about this, but um, I think that during that time you kind of had like we were talking about like it was a like Vita brought up a good point that it, the '90s weren't this carefree time, right? And kind of like uh, being clear that this was only the case for like the middle class, right? And I think that at the time when that show came out, you had like this like dot-com boom and you had like a lot of young professionals who were finishing college and getting these six-figure jobs, like working, you know, either on Wall Street or like working within politics, like becoming young professionals. And I think that that show kind of at the, the end of history, right, where... Um, we really felt like that we were finally, I guess, as Americans, I mean, people culturally kind of felt like um, like we were on the cusp of the future, on the edge of the future, you know, um, that through, you know, reason and logic and through, you know, investments in technology, where we're going to like surpass the world and surpass history itself. I think that that's why that show kind of came out at the perfect time and was appealing for like these young technocrats who then 
you know, wanted to go out there and I guess change the world according to like the show's vision of the world, at least, you know. That's a really, that's a really good point. I think that's a, it's funny because whenever you watch documentaries or TV shows or movies that are based on the nineties, that's definitely the perspective. Like we were on the cusp of something. I was watching, um, guys, I don't know if you guys watch it, but I watch a uh, Pam and Tommy on Hulu and it's interesting because I actually don't give a fuck about either of those people, but somebody told me it was a good show. So I watched it and actually it was a pretty good show but one of the things that, that they constantly reference is how this sex tape got out because it wasn't even the internet wasn't what it is today it was literally the beginning of that right um it kind of of goes into the beginning of even the porn industry online in general right but what i found to be really interesting um is that i never thought about i don't know what that is bro um is that that you You might want to mute your mic um Anyway, sorry, that's just that's just was hella distracting. Um, but anyway, um, I lost my thought. This is why it's when you my mind don't work like everybody. You gotta you can't be distracting me. But um, damn, I lost my point. Oh, so at any rate, there was it's it's interesting how I never thought about it. I never looked at the world that way because my perspective in life has always been so different, right? While at the same time I'm experiencing this world, right? Like I we actually my dad was in school. So we had a computer. He got uh, his student loan and we got us a computer with the internet. And I remember that era. And I remember being the only kid in the neighborhood who had a computer at all and let alone a computer with internet. But I do remember feeling like, okay, I'm on the cusp of something in the sense that this is all new. There's a whole new world open to me. But at the same time, the carefree part and this yay, rah, rah shit, that part wasn't there yet, right? Even my belief in what you can do with technology wasn't even there yet. Because I was still looking at my current circumstances of what was going on in the world. And what I find to be so interesting about shows like The West Wing is that you have these bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, as sort of in the way that Aaron described, you know, sort of this bright-eyed, bushy-tailed group of young people coming out of college. You know, more people are going to college, and now they're on the cusp of this new era. I think the West Wing gave them a fantasy that they felt was realistic. Like, oh, this is what the American dream really looks like, politically speaking, right? Everybody's getting along. Of course, we have some debates, but we negotiate, we figure it out. It's bipartisan and this sort of, you know, maybe political utopia. Because when you come, but when you come at it from somebody from like my perspective, <clears throat> where it's like, yeah, I'm seeing this on TV, but when I go to school, I still don't have a fucking book, and the ceiling tiles are falling on my head. That perspective is sort of, it's sort of like, it, it's jaded in that way. So I thought that was a really good point you brought up, Aaron. Thank you, and. Uh... RT, you can unmute now. Hey, y'all. Can, can y'all hear me? Yeah, yeah. We can hear you. How you doing? Yeah. I'm doing all right. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, it was another caller who talked about um, how the show made uh, politics about personality. And, I, you know, I think about that like just in, in relation to, like, how social media has made it now so that, you know, with politicians like AOC and uh, Elizabeth Warren and, you know, a lot of these kind of, uh, I would say, like, left liberal politicians, they, they've they kind of made it, you know, they, they've kind of been able to sell themselves as just like, you know, people that are relatable, people that, you know, you can relate to. And so a lot of times, 
what ends up happening is just like on the West Wing where like it became about like personality, like politics became about how, you know, about just having a good personality and being a good person. A lot of time, what, what ends up happening is anytime, um, you know, somewhere like, like Warren or AOC is being criticized for like, you know, a policy or anything like that, the, a lot of the pushback becomes just about how, you know, well, you know, this person, you know, even though, you know, regardless of how ineffective they may be, regardless of what their policies are, they are good people. And I think about how, like, you know, social media kind of makes it like West Wing. Like, we are kind of in kind of like that kind of West Wing situation where, you know, AOC is always doing like these, um, what do they call them on Instagram? She's always doing these videos on Instagram where she invites you uh, into Instagram, her world. Instagram lives. Instagram live where she invites you into her world and like just it's 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 like their lives are more accessible than ever and in some sense that's a good thing but in another sense it kind of makes it more difficult for I think a lot of liberals to like relate to them the way they're supposed to be related to us like servants of the people as opposed to just you know people that you know you know what I mean like I, I think about like something when I uh, interesting something I find interesting about that right is I feel like uh, leftists and online especially were very good at you know critiquing that in liberals and there was like a lot of jokes about the West Wing and you know how people did that with um, Nancy Pelosi and Elizabeth Warren and you know even when AOC started becoming that way they blamed on her becoming more liberal but. Um, Someone tweeted something yesterday I thought was pretty interesting. They said, I submit the term gritification for when a oh, yeah, I saw that one. Yeah. Yeah, is drafted into online leftist comradeship for absolutely no reason. Because you know, not everyone is gritty somehow, uh, uh, leftist icon. And, is, oh, yeah, and, yeah, and they use Dolly Parton as an example. But it happened with Pam Anderson. Um, the Joker became a serious like leftist film. And I'm like, I mean, from the guy from the guy who did the Bachelor Party, we uh, um, hangover movie, like, yeah, serious, you know, but yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you, but I think people, I think it's bigger than liberals now. I, I, I noticed like everybody's starting to do that now. Yeah. I, I wanted to, I wanted to point out one thing that you were talking about is, um, these people being seen as good people, these liberal politicians. And I think that goodness for liberals, um, is kind of correlates with, uh, meritocracy, you know? I think that um, Bartlett, uh, the president of the show, uh, uh, Martin Sheen's character, he he's a Nobel he's a Nobel Prize winner. He's like an economics professor. He speaks Latin. You know, I mean, he takes he checks off all these kind of boxes that I think, um, you know, in in the minds of liberals and I think maybe just in America as well. I don't even think this is a liberal thing, but specifically, I guess, in America, I think that 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 equation of meritocracy of these achievements right and somehow i guess also kind of uh hinting at your intellectual capacity i think that correlates to you being a good person and having good ideas right because you're smart yeah. you're not an idiot yeah. that separates yeah. you from the riffraff and you know the the ignorant mean-spirited people you know uh below the ivory tower you know i want to ask something too like i feel like being a good person is tied into meritocracy like you said but meritocracy is defined primarily by credentialism. So, mm. uh, so it, it, it's like, um, 
not only is being a good person defined by meritocracy, but uh, the main way to know if somebody has merit is not so much by ever hearing what great quality of ideas they have, because I don't think Sorkin can actually, it's like when a dumb person has to write a smart person. Like, I don't think he can actually give you a good idea from the character. So all they can do is read you the resume. And then you, you were like, oh, well, he must have good ideas. He went to uh, Harvard and went to Oxford, you know? So that's something I find really annoying about this show that I think has bled into the real world is this um, extreme credentialism being pushed as as merit, as something that you should just defer to all the time. Uh, okay, so let's move on to Bernard. Thank you, RT. And we are almost done. Jasper is going to be the last one. Thanks to everybody who's uh, joined us today. And also follow everybody on the stage and also subscribe to the show so you can be notified in the future. And also feel free to make highlights of any parts of the show that you like. It's pretty self-explanatory, I believe, uh, within the app to make highlights of the show. Whenever you make highlights of your favorite parts, it gets shared with us and we can share it with other people. So if any part you found particularly profound, funny, stupid, whatever, by all means, uh, please make a highlight of it. And by all means, Bernard, please. I think Bernard fell asleep. We left him waiting too long. Uh, Bernard, you there? Oh, there we go. There we go. So I actually want to add to the credentialism uh, conversation. And I think you kind of see me do this on the Discord every now and then, but um, when you bring up credentialism, the way I relate that to the type of liberal politics we see maybe in something like a West Wing, or I think I even at one point tried to watch something like Madam Secretary, which is just straight up propaganda. I'm convinced that that is just propaganda. I think a lot of credentialism often translates to, especially if you're like in, in my generation, I'm 32 and you went through college. I think it translates to a risk aversion, which I, I think risk aversion cannot correlate with any sort of leftism or socialism because you have to stay within certain boundaries and you have to fix things around the edges. And what I mean by this is when my generation went through college, even if you went to these elite universities, sure, you may be intelligent or have a high IQ, but if it requires like a 3.8 or, or something in undergrad to get a six-figure job at maybe, say, one of these investment banks, are you really going to take classes that challenge your ideas where where maybe you're so challenged by the class that you, you get like a B or something like that? Are you going to really take those classes or are you going to take classes or, or engage in activities that will definitely lead you to that 3.8 in the perfect resume to get that six-figure job. So I think just the process of going through college and the so-called achievement process or credential, uh, credentialist process nowadays will give rise to the type of risk aversion that we often see in our politics. And I don't think it's going anywhere, especially considering the amount of like grade inflation we see at the university level today. Like nobody is going to want to take any academic risk, they're not going to take risks with their resumes, and it's going to translate to a bad politics, in my opinion. So I kind of just want to know what y'all think about that, that that in and of itself might be a problem. I thought that was a really good point, Bernard. I actually didn't even think about it that way, but that's a really good point. Because, right, why would they? 
So, good point. Yeah, and I, I was costly, just going to add that. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Ahead. Uh, it's, when you consider how costly, like, and I went to one of the, um, like, Vita, you said you went to USC. I went to Emory University, and luckily, I came in right when they did their financial aid package thing where people under a certain, um, I guess, household income or, or net worth could basically go for free. So I kind of fell into that category. So I was blessed. But when you look at other people, if they're like full pay or having to pay like half of a, a $250,000 education out of pocket or through loans, that's also another incentive to not really want to learn anything. Like, look, I just want to get through these classes, make my A's, get this shiny degree and move on to my <laughs> like six figure job at the end because I got to pay back all these loans. So that's no doubt going to have an effect on, on people's politics. And and I think what you bring up is something kind of important that uh, a lot of times we like to imagine people just consciously, deliberately wanting to be evil. But I think a lot of people really want to believe that they're doing something good or at least not evil. And they will go out of their way to kind of preserve that ignorance just to... Uh, be able to do bad with uh, a clear conscience. Like very few people actually happily, um, gleefully do do evil. So, you talking yeah, about cognitive sure. dissonance? Just talk, yeah. yeah just cognitive dissonance, yeah. Yeah, it's, co- it's cognitive dissonance. And then, and, then, and, then, and then the act of um, re- reasoning in a certain way to preserve your cognitive dissonance to uh, dispel your cognitive dissonance. I think they call it um, motivated reasoning in, in cognitive psychology, where you're reasoning, uh, you have a motive to reason the way you do. So you're going to do the confirmation bias, you're going to do the bad faith um, interrogation, the cognitive shortcuts, whatever it takes for you to dispel that cognitive dissonance and um, you know stay, stay on the path that you're on in good, clear conscience. So yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with you on that. On that, um, yeah, I think it's something that we don't really talk about enough. That we we just think that we can just educate people or give people the right book or the right article or the right factoid. And ironically, this is a trap that West Wing characters fall in themselves. Except on the West Wing, it always works. You just give the person the right piece of trivia, it's gonna unlock uh, their morality. But people, when you have a when you have a motive to stay ignorant about something, especially a profit motive, uh, you'll find a way to stay ignorant. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, oh, sorry. Uh, Just bringing it back okay. to the college student, um, mm-hmm. I, I was surrounded by, like, an awful lot of people who were kind of, like, on a fast track to those cons- um, high-paying consulting or investment banking jobs. And, you know, if you ask them about why they're going into that, they'll rationalize it like, oh, I just want to make a whole bunch of money before I can do something more moral or, or or liberal and I can change the world as in like, look, I got to make this money before I can do X, Y, and Z. And of course, like they end up addicted to that money <laughs> over everything and they don't end up in any type of field that translates into good policy or some major world change. They just make the money. I feel like that's a very hey, guys, nice- Trevor. Trevor, mm-hmm. sorry to cut it. I apologize. Dave and I have to run off. We're recording a thing right now. So oh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much for having us. Thanks, everyone, for having us. This yeah, yeah, no problem. We're about to wrap up at the Jasper anyway. So that's that's perfectly fine. Thanks for coming out. We really enjoyed you guys. Being Anytime. Here. Yeah, oh, good, well, uh, Josh and Dave. Uh, good good talking to you two, finally. Yeah, yeah man, for sure. Thank you. we got to have you on. Yes. Right, take it easy. All right, take it easy, guys. Take it easy, guys. Be good. Be good.
yeah, I feel like it's a very Gen X uh, elder millennial way of uh, thinking. And I'm interested that people still do that. But a lot of these younger people, they've gone an even weirder route. They feel that making the money and making themselves rich actually is what's going to help everybody. Like, you know, by become like, I remember when I was coming up, we used to always say, oh, uh, I was going to make the money now. They're going to use the money to do good later or I'm going to fuck it up for the inside. But now people are like, hey, by getting hired, I'm inspiring little girls to um, not be not feel trapped by their gender or race. And, you know, by becoming a, a girl boss, I'm going to um, help poor people, you know, work harder in school and also, and also uh, you know, the, re- the representation is going to solve some things. So, yeah, I feel like people now are even going further than what you're talking about, Bernard. I think people now don't even... I think before you said, admit, hey, I know I'm selling out or compromising something, but on the back end, I'm going to do something right. And now people are like, you know what? The compromise actually is the good thing, or it's not a compromise at all. It's actually somehow the exact moral thing to do, which is, I don't know if I respect the honesty more as far as not even pretending to care or if it scares me more. I'm not sure. But uh, I'm going to move on to Jasper, Jasper, and then we'll end it there. Thanks, Bernard. Hi, happy Friday. Hey, happy Friday. Always a pleasure, Jasper. Um, I I've never watched an episode of West Wing, to be honest. So I might, <laughs> but uh, I do listen to the West Wing thing. <laughs> no, no, I listen to the West Wing thing. I'm one of those listeners that doesn't watch the show, but I listen because I think Josh and Dave are funny. But um. Like one thing that I was, uh, I have a couple of thoughts that I was trying to hold on to while listening to everybody. But um, one thing that like when they play c- clips, there's always like that metronome in the background. And I can't help but like get the sense that the show's literally trying to like hypnotize you and make you go to sleep with the way the cadence works. Cause it's not about substance. It's all about aesthetic. Um, that's one point that I wanted to make. <laughs> and then the other point I wanted to make was maybe Q might be able to respond to this. Um, but like, I feel like Canada believes it's the country that's represented in the West Wing. Like, genuinely, like, politically, like, the way that... Oh, my God. Yes, we are. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like, the way the, yeah. like, the left and right or like, what are conservative liberals, like, I feel I can't help... One of our I points th- of pride is explaining to Americans that our conservatives are analogous to U.S. Democrats. Like, that's, that's the way that we think of ourselves. So all of the the nationalism, all the hatred towards indigenous people and the covering up of the genocide that their ancestors committed against them, all the the regional factionalism, all of the reactionary politics, the anti-blackness, like all of that, like they just completely overlook it. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're we're such good people. Like Canadians love nothing more than to pat themselves on the back because it's like, well, you know, at least least we're not shooting you niggas. So, you know, you're welcome. Yeah, uh, that's like, and especially since I came to English Canada, because I was in Quebec before and that their politics are completely different. Like um, the right and left there, like it's a whole different ballgame. But yeah, it is like, that's exactly how it is. And whenever I've like listened to anything on the show, I'm like, this is what I like when I turn on the news. This is exactly what they think they're doing. (laughs) Um, And I think my uh, I had one last point that I was thinking of. um, Sorry. I I might need a second uh, if anyone wants to take the take the stage for a sec. Um, 
you're, you're the last one. So yeah, me, sorry. You, no, shoot your shot. This is your, yeah. this is your moment. Damn. Oh, no. Oh, it was about art because someone was bringing up the idea of like, we need leftist art. But I genuinely don't think that you need um, like people who are like explicit leftists to be making art. I just think you need people who are honest about their experiences because like, um, like it almost doesn't matter because like if you're like, ex- like just expressing reality, you'll like eventually kind of hit on materialist, like historical materialism, or like you'll kind of hit on class politics. It'll come up naturally because it's like observable in our reality. So you like, I genuinely don't think that you need to like Im- be like imbuing things with art. Like I think people animate the art with their politics when they consume it, but they you don't need to actually have it in there. So it's never a worry for me. Um, what I really worry about is like if I see someone making a piece of art and if they're honest about what they're experiencing. Um, and and yeah, that's that, that was my last point. I would I would say that um, I would recommend people check out uh, Stuart Hall's short essay "Deconstructing the Popular," um, where he talks about a uh, popular culture, and um, he has this idea called the uh, dialectic of the cultural struggle. And I really like that when I think about culture. Because what he says is that, um, you know, people interact with the media that they consume. Like, the working class is not some objective depository or repository to dump, like, uh, culturally hegemonic ideas into, right? Like, people either reject uh, narratives that they feel are true to, I guess, their lived experience, if I have to say it, Um, or, you know, they, um, they accept things, you know? So I think that the left, I mean whatever exists of the left or the Western left or whatever, I think, especially people that are interested in culture and art, I think that we should kind of capitalize on those tensions and fissures, you know? Um, and actually, Jasper, I do, I do agree with your saying, because I do think that, um, you know, there's one thing to go in there with like a stringent political message where this is clearly propaganda, right? Um, and earlier we were talking about, you know, leftist media, and I was going to bring up Means TV, um, which, you know, frames itself as an anti-capitalist streaming service. And um, I like Means TV, you know, but um, it is very much kind of like the podcast thing that I do, right? It's a very sort of, can be a very insular sort of community that I don't think is has the broad sort of appeal that um, mainstream media does, right? And I don't think that's because mainstream media neglects to um, address, you know, um, lived experience, I think it's because it actively it actively does reject that. You know, it's about the people that are in these writing rooms, right? It's about the people that get to share their stories. And I do agree with you. I think that, like, yeah, you if you, I hate to be like if you have more diversity, but I think there's a point to be made that yeah, if you do have more inclusion, right, in these spaces, I do think that you can have stories that more people can relate to and maybe you can sneak in some uh, socialist anti-capitalist messaging with that too, you know? So, yeah. I have a bit of an example of um, like someone who doesn't have leftist politics, but they made a piece of art that I think actually was extremely prescient at the time. Um, I just watched you, you've got mail and I'm pretty sure Nora Ephron's like super liberal or like, yeah, like um, I don't think her politics are that great, but in that film, she kind of predicts like, or she kind of like 
like, cause she, I guess at the time, you know, the internet was big and, or it was booming at that time. And it was for a specific group of people. It was becoming big, like people who could have like have a computer and get like, get the internet and like be on chat rooms all day or whatever. So you have like a big business corporation guy, Tom Hanks, and you have like a small, like business uh, owner in Meg Ryan. And the, like their romance plays out in a really messed up way where he like, 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 but anyways, the whole point is, um, in the end you see like she totally abandons her workers um you get like you get a total sense of like that um you know everyone who's of a certain class they're just ready to sell all of their beliefs for like you know for more comfort and more stability and like it like i have (laughs) i i'm not like i'm not going to do a whole review of the movie right now but like like genuinely if you like i recommend everyone like go rewatch that movie if if you're looking for something to chill out to, um, you'll notice a lot of really funny lines um, that are very, like, I think, prescient. Do you think it was deliberate satire or do you think it was un- unknowingly uh, giving giving the game away? Like, is it showing those people selling out as a positive thing or is it uh, knowing- knowingly critiquing, critiquing uh, their lack of values? So I think, I think it's it's kind of like, like I get the sense that Nora Ephron was seeing where the wind was blowing with the way corporations were like what they were doing at the height of the nineties, essentially. Um, Because like, essentially she's saying like, there's a big box store that's kind of like a Walmart or, you know, like any chain store at the time. And she's like, sort of saying like, let's welcome the takeover. Like they're, they're better at business. Let them do it. And I feel like it's an almost an admission. Like, I think it's a positive because it ends with them like, she falls in love, like the small, the the family business owner falls in love with the corporation. Oh, I think wow. that's like perfect. I, 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 I feel like that's the value of, um, you know, a lot of political media now is I think a lot of leftists need to give up on finding a really good corporate um, media product that will have really good left values. Used to find it from like foreign and indie media, but now indie is like an aesthetic. Indie is just basically... Oh, look, kind of like how prestige television is just a way of pacing and shooting, you know, like like so-called indie movies, you know, at some point just became Miramax and Miramax is like a huge company. It's just, it's just, you know, or A24, which is supposed to be like the indie darling now, but it's still a huge uh, company. I feel like if anything, the value of um, political stuff now is to just watch people telling themselves and see where people's uh, minds are, which I will tie it back into West Wing by saying that's the value I think West Wing uh, still brings why it's still worth talking about, even though people act like there's a statute of limitations, like Aaron said, on talking about things. But I think it really is like a decoder ring. or it's, And like that movie sounds interesting to me right there because I think it's a major shift in American values. The idea of the benevolent corporation, I feel like that's very normalized in liberal thinking now. Like I was... Uh, I tweeted something. A lot of people got mad at me on, you know, the left when I said this, but I'm like, uh, conservatives, I think, actually have more distrust of corporations now than liberals do. Like, like liberals act like their feelings get seriously hurt when a corporation is un- unwoke. Like, the actual expectation they have of a corporation to kind of be a moral leader is, like, like shocking to me. And I was like... What do you think corporations are? You know, whereas um, conservatives would be like, you know, oh, these corporations, uh, 
they're just pandering to people like they're woke. And then, you know, some people are like pushing back and they're like, oh, no, they're only saying that because they think the corporations are pandering to the left. But if if the corporations were pandering to them, they'd be fine with it. And I'm like, even if that's true, they're conservatives. They're supposed to be that way. So the best argument you can make is that the liberals and conservatives are the same. The liberals are still losing, you know, like it shouldn't even be it shouldn't even be that, you know, but, uh, you know, people expect like Marvel to be like a moral leader, you know, and they get excited when uh, they cast like a black person in a role or they'll be mad at Marvel because a character was made light skin instead of dark skin and they'll be hurt. Like they expected Marvel to really care about colorism, to care about um, all types of stuff. And it's like, yeah, it's just really weird. And I think that movie scene you're describing is a perfect example of like the start of that shift, like the idea that, hey, this is a benevolent big box company and they're actually doing a favor. And who better to get, you know, the right values out than the people with the platform and the money, you know, and it's not about abolishing the big box. It's about making sure that you find the it's kind of how people think Target is somehow um, morally better to a large degree than, than Walmart because it has more of a liberal in their mind, urban aesthetic to it. Can I bring up one more example from you have got mail that I thought you guys might enjoy? Um, oh think, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Feel free. I think, okay. I think it's Greg Kinnear who's Meg Ryan's like, uh, like the guy she's dating before she meets Tom Hanks and he's a socialist, like he's kind of explicitly a socialist. And by the end of the film, he falls in love with a Republican um, and I, I just think that's very funny because, like, I think, like, it's just this, like, because he's, like, a New York, um, like, media guy who, like, sees himself as a super lefty. Um, and so he's just, like, and, like, it, it's kind of this, like, seeing, like, how the bourgeois, like, like, easily abandon all their values um, for this, like, and love in the movie is kind of treated like, you know, this, it's supposed to be, like, the all-encompassing virtue and and like whatnot so it's supposed to solve everything um but uh, yeah oh uh, 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 you know that reminds me of uh, this, this is the last thing i'll say and i'll pass it off to the panel i'll try to get q back up here he's in the audience but um it's it's not seem to be working but anyway last thing i was going to say is what you remind me of reminds you when in the 2000s everybody was so in love in the media with the idea of james carville and mary matlin uh being supposed political opposites but being married and it was supposed to be a sign of how love conquers all and how good they are and you know that um that made them better politicians that they can you know both quote unquote sleep with the enemy and i remember like being horrified like wait a minute that's kind of why is no one more disturbed by this at least among the liberals like like they really love the idea that these people can fight for opposite sides of the so-called good fight and they come home and you know, like to me, it kind of showed like a lack of core values or like neither of them really believed in what they were doing to a appreciable extent. But that wasn't the media narrative at all. But the scary part about what you're saying, though, is these aren't just this isn't just a, an average couple who just has differences. You know, like he's a plumber and she's a teacher. Right. You're talking about people who are in go- high government positions. You know what I mean? Who have, a, who have a lot of power. So the question is, where do your values truly lie? If you can build a family that's a, with someone who 
has you know completely opposite values. It just it just doesn't make sense to me. Well, so somebody yeah. lying. You either lying in your marriage or you lying to us. And I'm against exactly. us. I would I would say that like you know because uh, again like you know I worked for the Dems for a while and um, what I come to realize especially when I became radicalized is that um, I'm not saying that core values are especially important right but American politics is mostly aesthetic you know. Um, it's, you know, it's expressed through cultural preferences as we're talking about the West Wing now, um, you know, over this, um, culture war, which I do think there is some validity to that idea, because again, I do think culture is worth fighting for, but a lot of like politics, all this kind of shit is aesthetic, you know, like it's, it's not really anything that has to do with like the way that people actually kind of live and experience their lives. It's all done through what shows do you like, what products do you buy, you know? Like um like that dude was talking about earlier, this idea of consumerism, which goes down to why even very politics, not just going to the store and buying twenty different brands of deodorant, you know. Those twenty different brands of deodorant, that's likened to like a slate of candidates during a primary, you know. Where there's not much difference between them, but you're be- led to believe that there actually is. So um yeah. and, and, and I think when you boil it down to aesthetics, uh you realize like certain things, like for example, the fact that both Republicans and liberals uh, and Democrats love Hamilton, or they both love, uh, you know, Mike Pence attended Hamilton. They both loved um, the West Wing, et cetera. And yeah, I think it's like totally what you said. When it comes down to aesthetics, these people eat at the same restaurants, they watch the same shows, they watch the same television programs, they eat at the same um, places together a lot of the times, you know. So yeah, they're the same it's, class. They're they're the same class yeah. of people. So and you tend to roam around and kick it with the people in your class, and that's not just economic class, but social class, right? So absolutely, yeah. And uh, that's the end of our time tonight. I was trying to get Q back up on stage, but for some reason it's not working for whatever reason. So um, last thing I'll say is. Uh, People, if you enjoyed this show after it's done, feel, or even right now, just uh, share it via social medias. You know, let more people discover the show. Subscribe to Media Masochist. It's not hard to do. Just click the button. And also follow everybody on the stage or, or who has spoken. Or also follow each other. If you'd like a speaker who you saw calling in, you know, definitely follow, follow each other. I definitely want to build a sense of community here and yeah that's basically all i have to say i want to give the panelists a chance to plug anything they want to plug or mention any final uh quick points and that's it um Vita, do you want to go for do you have anything to plug first do you want to go first do i have anything to plug yeah oh um no <laughs> go ahead um, yeah, uh, I guess people could follow me on Twitter at Paradoomer um, and check out uh, the Trillbilly Workers Party podcast I'm a co-host on. And you could check out Struggle Session. I'm a comics, uh, comics correspondent um, on that show as well. And uh, thanks for having me, y'all. I really appreciate the conversation. Thanks. Yeah, well, y'all can follow me on Twitter. Y'all can follow me on Twitter. Lifestar Media and, you know, Champagne Sharks, of course. Yeah, I appreciate both of y'all for being here. Appreciate Q, Dave, Luke, and Josh, even though um they're all they're all gone. And yeah, everyone, definitely make highlights of the show if so inclined. We would definitely appreciate it. And subscribe to the show so you can be notified when we do more. And with that, everyone have a good Friday and a good weekend. Take care. Bye.